Hey everybody, Daniel here. Hope you're enjoying a safe and healthy holiday season. Uh, we here at STT wanted to send you all something a little bit extra for the holidays this year. A look back at the best moments in Season 1 of STT. Now this is a little bit different than the season wrap-up episodes that we do over at patreon.com slash podcast. if you didn't already know. Uh, over there we talk about overall storylines and who got bobbed and all that fun stuff. Uh, so if that's what you're looking for, be sure and check us out over there and maybe consider subscribing. Uh, for as little as $1 a month, you get access to show notes, all sorts of bonus shows, video content, movie commentaries, and even some exclusive STT merch. Uh, but this episode is going to be a little different. This is going to be the best of STT season one, or the best TT of STT, as I'm calling it. Uh, this is all the laughs, the silly stuff, and the times where we accidentally made a point while making this show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the belts, boomers, and boolin of the best TT of STT, season one. hospital yet they managed to like take that look and replicate it over into the um the like designed set i think that's kind of the coolest thing about this is how much um it's one of the things i really love about the show is how much attention to detail there is from um not only just like the set design but like the terminology and the way things are written and just i don't know like everything is seems like it's got a purpose nothing seems like it's extra or filler the only thing I would say to that is that with the attention to detail is yes, a lot of like they got all the stuff like in the hospital, right? But one thing that actually super bugs me is just how wrong they are about like the city proper with like actual like where oh, stuff yeah. is. Well, too funny because I was just about to say how much I love that it's such a love note to Chicago, even if they do miss some of those nitty gritty details. You can tell like the constant comments on the weather and just the way they approach kind of that small town big city feel when they're doing the out of the er shots i think yeah I, like even in this episode like the weather just changes on a dime which actually does happen every now and then in chicago in uh, for, con for context lauren uh lauren and i are uh do live in chicago and i have lived uh in the chicagoland area uh for the for all of my life um Lauren and I have lived together here in the city proper for the last seven and a half years. Yep. And Daniel and Daniel, I think was that your was that your first time ever in the city when we saw you yeah. that one time? Yeah, that was my first time ever in Chicago. I might have spent longer than I care to admit trying to find the actual ER hospital before I realized it was fictional. Bless. I don't want to talk about it. It's not. <laughs> it's not a big deal. We don't need. We don't need to, like, dwell on it or anything. We, we could have lied to you and told you that, like, Rush was. It's fine. I'm, I'm over it. I'm not worried yeah. about it. So, basically, um, Michael Crichton, Crichton, whatever the fuck Crichton. his name is. Everybody's favorite uh, dinosaur-loving, but yet climate change-denying uh, weirdo. Um, he... Um, so he was like a Harvard Medical School student, uh, and he was an emergency room intern. And so this was in the 70s, and he wrote a screenplay 
uh, at the time titled ED for emergency department. Um, and basically nobody showed any interest. They were like, fuck off Harvard boy. We don't want to read your script. Uh, nobody cares. And, uh, so basically he, um, he kept writing, but he turned his attention to other projects. Uh, one of those other projects being a little book about dinosaurs called Jurassic Park. So basically what I'm saying is that were it not for ER, you would not have Jurassic Park. So thanks. And were it, were it not for Jurassic Park, you wouldn't have ER. Exactly. Because so from there, like, and this is, we're, we're glossing over like 15 years of in-between stuff here. But basically at, a, at some point he hooks up with Steven Spielberg. Heard of him? It's kind of familiar. Uh, sounds, sounds right. I don't, I don't think I. I don't think I have. He's done a few movies. The The Terminal. Familiar with the Terminal? <laughs> oh, but of course, a classic. That's everybody's go-to. For Spielberg, I forgot right? that the, he did. I forgot that he did that one. So he hooks up with Spielberg, and they uh, Spielberg is super interested in making Jurassic Park. They work together on that, and it's a big success. And so after that, he convinces Spielberg to work with him on developing ER. So they shop it around to all the um, studios. NBC takes the bait and says, you know, get us a pilot. So basically, he just takes that script from 1974, makes a few small changes. Um, The only real substantive changes from the script to or the screenplay to what you saw in the pilot uh, included... Benton was originally a white guy, um, and they made him black. Um, Lewis that seems for the best that was changed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they all seem like pretty positive changes. Like Lewis was originally a male, and um, they made her female. Thank um, God. Yeah, and uh, what was the other one? Um, the other one is not. It, th- this one was actually a really late. This was actually Spielberg's like one and only like big contribution to the show was that um, originally getting into spoiler territory for the episode um originally hathaway was supposed to die and spielberg spielberg convinced Crichton. uh, that's why she's list if you look in the beginning of the show if you look in the credits she's um juliana margulies is listed as a special guest star she's not listed as part of the rest of the cast i you know i actually noticed that i was actually curious about that thank you for doing all this research for us I, I comes with the facts, you know, like, um, so basically she was supposed to die at the end of the first episode and, um, Spielberg talked Crichton into keeping her around because he felt like she had a really good dynamic with Clooney, um, and that she just kind of fit well with the rest of the cast. So they kept her around. Um, and yeah, pretty much from there, it's, it's kind of what you see is what you get. They, they did make some, you know, minor cuts here and there for time because they're trying to fit it into that two hour time slot on TV. But, um, yeah, pretty much the, the 1974, like he went 20 years and made, you know, able to take something pretty much carbon copy and apply it to 1994. Super cool. Should we get into what was going on at the time and get into the actual meat of the episode? Yeah, sure. Uh, Lauren, you want to read, oh, rattle off a couple little 1994 facts? I sure What was happening this week? So first and foremost... My dearest Lizzie turned six. Happy birthday, Lizzie. Yay, me. Um, the number <laughs> one movie at the time was Time Cop. The number one song was I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. And the U.S. lands 3,000 troops in Haiti to restore the democratically elected government back to power. USA. USA. Okay, never mind. <laughs> and we never interfered in another country's nope, affairs. Nope, never. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, moving on. Time isn't isn't time cop wasn't that like 
Am I confused? What was the game that was in like arcades with the gun? Time Crisis. Like... Time Crisis. Yeah. Damn it. Okay. Yeah, Time well, Crisis. Obviously, the entire... movie. Yeah, Time Crisis is the famed you, like gun game. You had five letters, right? Yeah. I got close enough. Just added a few extra ones in there. It's fine. Doctor Green hooks his body up with a banana bag, tells him to go hang out in Curtain Two for a while, and. We get Dr. Ross all hooked up, and then we have Susan Lewis come and start talking to Dr. Green about his personal life. I completely forgot he had a wife other than Elizabeth. <sighs> and I think it's because I willingly blocked this woman out. It's because that's because she Dr. Green and awful. Dr. Cordae are just are just just the best. That they're just the best. We we start to hear about you know, we get hints about how unhappy Dr. Green is in his marriage. They're talking about how, you know, they never see each other and his wife wants him to go and take this job interview. So we're starting to see some of the tension that's built up there. Yeah, she's uh, she's something else. But I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, honestly. Like, she's not given a ton to work mm. with. Like, she's a character that she's a character that you never really um, you never really get any sort of insight from her perspective. Like everything is, is from his perspective. Like she wants him to make more money and she wants him to work less and all this other stuff. And it's like all very like his perspective and you almost never really get hers. They do honestly, they do more with, um, with Rachel, the daughter throughout the course of the show than they ever do with Jennifer. Like Jennifer gets no shine whatsoever. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. Especially when, so yeah, especially when the daughter, blanking on her name rachel rachel yeah when rachel especially in that whole season eight arc that she has it's she's absolutely fantastic and i and her character actually just becomes like a character but i kind i kind of feel like they're both sort of pushed to the side for for a lot of the time it's just like this thing like oh dr green oh yeah dr green has a quote-unquote family over here and his wife always nags him which, to be fair, her dema- her her requests—not I almost said demands, but they're not really demands. Her requests are very reasonable when you're, you know, married to someone. Hey, I'd like to see you more. Hey, I would like it if we could, if you could be a more of a right, dad yeah, to your daughter. That's kind of my thing. I'm 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 hesitant to like completely write her off as just a you know stuck up bitch. Like it's she has reasonable requests. Like you are a father with a daughter. Like I get you're a doctor and I get you're helping people. That's great. But also you have this other responsibility. And so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a double edged sword there. And you, you both bring up a good point, but it's just the way they portray her. It makes it so hard on first blush to see that. Oh, and yeah. I just like in my notes, I'm going to be honest. And this is terrible of me. I actually put fuck Jennifer because just that the way they portray <laughs> her when he and when they're quick grabbing lunch together or breakfast or whatever time it is at this point. Yep. She just, that actress nails it for exactly how they had that character written. And it's just that immediate visceral response of, no, we feel sympathetic to Dr. Green already. How can you be treating him like this? And it's, it's just, they do such a good job portraying that and having your first impressions of this character have her be so unapproachable. Yeah. And the whole, like, like, then they they at the same time well i guess not at the exact same time but in this within the same episode they also try to introduce the like parallel arc of like him and lewis's relationship slash friendship thing it's i i I like it too but i also feel like it's 
so much unrealized potential. Like they just never really fully explore it. Like they kind of just, you know, dance on the surface of it a little bit and they just never really, they never really take it anywhere. But part of that is, you know, casting changes and things like that, which is all stuff that comes up later on down the road. But it's just, it's interesting how that all kind of starts out. They like, they take no time whatsoever to, um, you know, ease you into things. Like they start throwing heavy duty plot threads at you, like, within the first half well, of the episode. I will say, with the friendship between Dr. Green and Dr. Lewis, those type of friendships do exist in real life. And yes, you could say it's wasted potential, but that's also just how life happens sometimes. That's true. Yeah, it is it is very realistic in that way. Like, it's they don't... People don't always end up together, and people don't always, you know, go down those roads. So, yeah, that's, that's a good point. see the forest through the trees. Yeah, I mean, it's important. It's important. I, th- I, feel, like, I feel like Susan becomes a really... Im- like already is established like even just in this little beginning and becomes more of just a really important friend to dr green and i think that's really important to represent that on mainstream and mainstream tv is just a like even though they sort even though they do play with it a lot like a sort of a will they won't they type of thing throughout throughout the seasons but like for the most part they're just friends and that's they just have a beautiful platonic friendship yeah I, I'm sorry, I just need to Go point ahead. this out right now. If you're watching along with us, the doctor following Dr. Green along, he's just drawing circles. You look at his notepad and it's just circles. <laughs> I just I just I need mean, you to know that's... that. Like I noticed it and I could not stop laughing. In in his defense, they said it was in the loop. Ha! Okay. Ha! So Daniel, you're not on the show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> fired on the first episode damn it yeah it's it's so beautifully shot like it's just the camera never like there's no cuts there's no nothing like it's just all like one continuous shot that just goes around oh my god like just thinking trying to visualize it in my head and if you listen to some of the special features too on like later especially like on later seasons they talk about they talk about those shots and how like they're simultaneously like the biggest bitch in the entire world because you have to do them all in one take and there's so much medical terminology that you have to throw out in such a sh- in a short amount of time just like a normal emergency situation um but right. the, they're also like a lot of the actors really love them because because of that because they're so challenging because they're so they come out so well and really no other show is does it quite like that yeah i was reading like doing some of the research for this and this this kind of carries forward throughout um so apparently like all the medical obviously if you're a doctor or you're a nurse like you've been in medical school you've been in like you've been immersing yourself in all this terminology and stuff for years so that just kind of rolls off the tongue um for these actors though like they were given a script with very authentic medical terminology. Like they did not pull any punches with this. Like you are going to call this drug by its exact name, or you are going to call this, uh, you know, piece of anatomy by its exact name. Cause that's part of the appeal of the yeah. show is how, how it's supposed to be like is. a slice of life of like an actual publicly run emergency room. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the authenticity is kind of what sells it. Um, but so supposedly everybody like did their homework. Like everybody was like on point, learned their terminology, learned, had everything memorized, didn't fuck up or, or fucked up rarely, um, except Clooney. Clooney <laughs> could not be fucking bothered <laughs> to learn any of the shit. Like that he me. would like, he would, they said that he would like write 
the words that he was supposed to say in a scene, like the like medical terminology, he would either like write it on his hand, or if he had to like have his hand visible in the scene, he'd have like a notepad in a drawer, and he'd have the like drawer like next to him open so that he could like peek oh at God. it when the camera wasn't on him. <laughs> he was the only one out of the entire cast who couldn't be bothered to learn the shit on a I'm regular gonna basis. I'm going to look for that it now. Just... Yeah, I was going to say like that sounds actually something to look for while we're when we're going forward. And then to contrast that too, Carol really just is just sort of like the quiet, strong, steady one throughout all of it. But like everyone, everyone knows she's there and knows she know like knows that they can rely on her. But like she's very soft spoken about it. She's doesn't really like assert herself at all and is just sort of like there in the background. It just seems like everybody kind of takes her for granted that yeah. she's gonna be there right when they need her. Yeah, she's very, like, for lack of a better word, I'm trying to come up with a better one, but, like, she's kind of, like, ethereal. Like, she kind of just floats through everything. Like, she's just, things are happening around her. There's lots of explosions and things happening and all sorts of, like, fires burning down. And she's just kind of calm and, like, walking through the middle of it. People are running past her and asking her things, and she's just calmly giving the answer and is not, like, she doesn't seem to be as affected by the chaos as everyone else is and i do find it like my wife that's how my wife is like she is the the best person to have around in an emergency because she stays a hundred percent calm even one of our first dates we saw a guy on a motorcycle get hit by a drunk driver and she literally like i lost my entire like gut and like all the color drained out of my face and she she went she ran off and held his leg together until the ambulance got there. Like she took complete control of the situation and was just calm as could be. And then as soon as it was all over with, like the ambulance shows up, they take the guy away. They do the whole deal. I'm still like shaking. Have mind you, I haven't done shit. I'm just standing there. Like I'm still like shaking and like, I don't know what to do with myself. And she just like rips off her latex gloves that the paramedics gave her. And she's like, so what do you want to do for dinner? Okay. And like, you're married, I, you're married to a badass. I really enjoyed her company when we all met for dinner, but I think I might be a little in love with your wife now. <laughs> she's she's pretty pretty badass. I got. But I'm also wondering. Say. Going back to Carol for a second. I'm yeah. sorry, but no, with that good. with that ethereal statement, I'm also wondering how much of our observations about this and her behavior are colored by what we know happens later in the episode. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I was like, as someone who has as someone who has dealt with suicidal depression for the majority of my life at this point, ever since I was a teenager, like I can see like where that headspace would be. It's like right before it's like when you like sort of like know something's something's going to happen. Like something's so like a switch is flipped in your head and you just get calm. So you kind of take it one, you can kind of take her demeanor in this first half of this episode one two ways you could take it as either her just being that strong calm at the center at the eye of the storm that is the er but you could also take it as her already that, having said goodbye yeah you could you, uh, you could take yeah. it you could take she's it as yeah, already, her has already like had made peace of the fact that she's going to go home she's going to swallow a whole bottle of pills she's going to drink yeah drink she's going to kill herself it's an interesting like dichotomy too because like from my perspective like I always that's that's always been one of my like biggest sticking points and biggest criticisms about the pilot episode is that 
they do drop such a bomb on you in the second act or second half, whatever yeah. you want to call it, um, with Hathaway that I've always sort of, again, from my perspective, I've always sort of felt like wasn't really like earned. Yeah. You know, like it was, it, it was very like, it, it, it felt very much like a season two or a season three type of cliffhanger or even a, even a season finale of season one kind of cliffhanger. It did not feel like something that should have happened in the second act of, of the pilot episode. Like it was like, what? Like this, to me, it comes out of complete left field, but as somebody who's never really dealt with the like effects of suicidal depression, like I, that, that just didn't even enter into my like thought process of like, Oh, that, but thinking about it through that lens, it makes more sense. Yeah, I can see, I can see that. But I think like when you're talking about like actually trying to get an audience hooked into the show, like, oh, one of the main characters attempted suicide in the very first episode, like that would get people talking in 1994. Like that Especially was very because true. It's so much more taboo then. Yeah, like that's not something you really saw. You really saw a whole lot back then. Another thing we had noted is that you also see right away that not everyone lives. That this is just like real life. There are going to be people that you just can't save. And obviously that will affect all these, all the doctors and nurses differently for different patients, different and all and all the other stuff. But like you immediately see Dr. Green have to tell someone that they're... I think it's their father. I think so. Yeah. Uh, oh, that a yeah. family member died and just you used to get that first, like not very well acted, but you get that first like moment of <laughs> get that first like moment of like grief. He gets the point across. Yeah. He gets the point across, but it's just, it's just so cheesy the way <laughs> that was his platoon. Like that was his like, that was that guy's like this is my chance like i am gonna make a move like i'm gonna have a career off of this one little 30 second interaction and oh my god it's so bad Spoiler uh, that, alert. that's like didn't. one of the only things that sticks out for me in this episode of just like it pulls me out a little yeah. bit when i have to like watch this guy flail on green's chest like it's just you bastard uh, oh god just uh. Uh. Benton is such a fucking asshole. He, really, he has turned the prick up to 11 in this. Like, he is just, ugh. He is just, he is just, he, he is a dill don't. <laughs> He's very, he, from, again, talking to my wife, like, he is very authentic, though, to not all doctors. Hashtag not all doctors. <laughs> Uh, but he he's apparently very authentic to the dynamic that you see a lot of times between doctors and is nurses. that still in 2019 like, a thing yes at least it was you know like you know she my wife works she's done both she's worked because she used to be um in the military and so she uh she's done it kind of both on the military side and on the civilian side so i i imagine on the military side there's probably an added layer of kind of pretentiousness on the doctors where they've got this yeah. like sense of superiority about what they're doing. You know, she's basically said like, you get your good doctors that know that the nurses, you know, they, they would not be able to survive without the nurses. But then you do get Benton's occasionally who think that they are God's gift to yeah, medicine. Think they're the hottest shit under the sun. <laughs> right. That, that nurses should exist solely to like 
cater to their every whim up to and including yeah. making and uh, we did do the the inflation rate conversion and twenty three thousand seven hundred thirty nine dollars in nineteen ninety four uh, equals out to forty one thousand ninety eight dollars and ten cents in twenty nineteen as of this recording. Which is low, you know, yeah. compared to for working for working ninety hours a week. That is low, I will say. Um, but also, shut the fuck up. Basically, is what <laughs> but also I, make your like, own fucking coffee just, and don't be a bitch about it. <laughs> right. Nobody forced you to become a doctor. Like you'll be yeah. you'll be making one hundred and twenty grand or more here pretty and soon. In, don't worry. And in the time it took you to bitch about this coffee, you could have already had a pot going. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then also with that scene, just sort of overall, like just the overall like conversation that's going on. Everyone just seems to know that Mark's marriage is a fucking mess. <laughs> like, just, like, yeah, it seems like everybody but him. Like, he's the one that seems like he's like, no, 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 it's fine. Yeah, we're good. We're good. And everybody else, is, I think he kind of knows, on, but it's just more. It's just more of he's doesn't want to maybe doesn't necessarily want to believe it. Yeah, he's still in that like avoidance. Yeah thing over like he just doesn't want to deal i don't even thought it's necessarily that he doesn't want to believe it because i don't even know that he necessarily believes it when he says it's fine i think it's more so that he's just too busy and he doesn't want to deal with it like it's one more thing he's got to like manage and so he's just like it's fine and then from that scene they go right into where we actually meet jennifer for the first time uh i i apologize i had this mixed up with the earlier portion where she was so excited to shit all over. I Jennifer sure that was. She jumped the gun <laughs> by twenty. Jennifer in her giant sweater and her giant glasses <laughs> by like twenty-five minutes. The most nineties nineties that ever nineties. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize, Jennifer. I hated you twenty minutes sooner than I should have. <laughs> My bad. It's okay. If you needed a reminder that it's 1994, just take look no further than poor little Rachel, four year old, or whatever she is. Rachel's little like I don't even know what it is. Like it's it's like the AIDS quilt, but if it was a shirt, <laughs> like it's like all patches God. and like different. I mean, I mean that endearingly, like you know, but like it's all like patches of different colors and just like. Uh, I, I think know. Lizzie might need to pause for a second. You might have killed her. Ah oh, shit! Ah. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Littlest baby. Oh, oh, you sweet summer child. (laughs) The babiest that ever babied. Yeah. Just with with his fucking part down the middle and just could they have made him look more like a 12 year old? He just looks like such the little like rich boy. He's got the part in the middle and the tailored white coat. Like they do everything in their power to like give you the visual cue of like this kid is in over and his the doe eyes and... and i mean and he even mentions that like he doesn't know how to do jack shit because he did psychiatry and dermatology rotations before this the it's well like, oh, yeah. the, the well dressed <laughs> yes i love that line too <laughs> so he doesn't even let's like okay let's throw this kid into his surgical rotation like one of like the most advanced what i one of what i emo- uh, imagine to be the most difficult rotations when you're in medical school and without in, even knowing how to place a fucking IV in an ER, yeah, like yeah, like, he's like you couldn't. I think you could have planned that better, there, uh, Mister Medical School people. <laughs> that speaks to me on a very like human level too, because it's one of these like weird, like not fears, but like one of these weird like hangups I have of like you have a profession like doctor, like it's the person that literally holds your life in their hands. And just by definition, there has to be 
a worst doctor who's ever become a doctor. <laughs> like there has to be like just by You're definition, right. there has to be the worst person who's done the minimum amount of stuff to be able to be a doctor. And so like the idea that you could in theory be sitting in front of the little worst doctor that has ever been, it's like, uh, uh like, I don't know. Like I was, I've that never lady thankfully that never had. And Jerry is clearly superior. Obviously. Jerry, Jerry and, Tim, Jerry and Timmy is... are my favorites of all the... Oh, we haven't even talked about Tim yet. I was so, like, talking about getting ahead of ourselves, I was so happy to see Tim come back in season 10. Yeah. Like, I was so excited for that. The only other, like, he was one of those... I'm a big, like, oh, shit, it's that guy person. Like, yeah. I will... I'm, I may not know where I know them from, but I'll know. I'll be like, I know that guy. And Tim was one of my first ones in this show where I was like, who the fuck is that? Like, I know that guy i don't know where i know him from and then looking through imdb he was in fucking speed with keanu <laughs> Re- like he was the guy driving the convertible next to the bus that like keanu reeves like commandeers yeah. like and i was like i from the same year too that's 94 also so like he's doing what a year this fucking guy has he gets er and speed in the same year yeah like, and then you, also man. uh jerry is in twister like in 95 or 96 yep. he's a uh, part of uh carrie you know, always yeah carrie always is uh science team he's one of the drivers i think of like the big van mm-hmm. in the back I'm not going to say that my like my reference point for Jerry is George of the Jungle, but my reference point <laughs> for Jerry is George of the Jungle. That's all I'm going to say. Like, and Jerry is a precious, precious man, and I love him, and we must protect him at all costs because he's my probably my favorite background character. Oh, yeah, and whenever he show. gets hurt and random things, we're just like, Jerry, no! Like, That's going to be a hard yep. one for me to get yep. to. Yeah. That, yep. We all know the episode I'm talking about. I was about, just about to talk gonna, about it, yep. It, it it upsets me to no end, and I mm, yeah. that's gonna be. We've a got a couple tough ones coming up. Yeah, I, I like the way that that's portrayed. Sure. Portrayed too. Okay, and then getting back into the the actual getting back into the episode, like I said before, you kind of hard pivot from that gun violence scene to the bougiest uh, medical office I've ever seen in my entire life, even to this day. I think. Yep. Yeah, that was like white privilege the ride. Like that was just <laughs> That was a country club stuffed into a doctor's office. Yeah, like that and that doctor that he's talking to, he was another one like Tim that I was like I know that fucking guy. I don't know who he uh, is. Yeah, I, I don't know, know who he is either, but I looked him up. The only thing that I can think of with him is that I think he played a bad guy on X-Files once. Like that's about the only crossover oh, okay. with my like kind of scope that I can think of, but it wasn't even like it wasn't like a character name that jumped off the page at me that I was like, that's where it's I know him like, from. Oh, so he just guy. has one of those faces, yeah. But he did he he perfectly you know kind of encapsulated that like out of touch bougie doctor of just like yes I'm a doctor and yes I have all the ability to help people in the world, but instead I go to like you know Hawaii for conferences and I ski yeah. all the time. Like, and we have a sauna. Making one hundred twenty thousand right. in nineteen ninety four dollars, which is probably be about plus yeah. bonuses. Like they're oh yeah, my probably god, like north. Of, it's easily north of two hundred and probably twenty twenty five k. Well, and what I'm curious about is why are they so invested in Mark, and how did he get this dream interview at this bougie ass country club doctor's office anyway? Yeah, how the hell did they hear about Mark Green? Didn't they say? In like while they're walking around talking to him, didn't they say that like Morgan Stern oh, was talking yeah, about yeah, getting? Oh yeah, yeah, right, yeah. 
they were like Morgan Stern says you're the best doctor he's yeah. ever seen come through the ER and like so like he's getting the like Luke Skywalker treatment of like you're the chosen yeah. one and like I mean you know but you can tell like from the minute he walks through the door that like Green's not into it and like he's he's, he's like, clearly uh, he's doing this to play that position exactly yeah he's he's never even remotely considering it like he's just doing it like you said to to check the box to be able to say he did it and go back and tell her like no it didn't work out yeah that's nice We're almost, we're almost to the, we're almost we, to the, we're, to the climax. No, but we're. <laughs> I promise all the episodes no, are not. Yeah, we no. have your, we have your favorite guest, Miss Raskin, the feisty old lady. No, she's your, she's oh, your favorite. Oh guest. yeah, you're yeah. right. Because you want to be here when you grow up. I sure do. <laughs> the thirsty Miss yeah. Raskin. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> I just put. I hope I have as much thirst and confidence as Miss Raskin when I'm her age. So she comes in specifically Oof. asking for Mark Green, fussing over a tiny hangnail, just acting to the rafters. Not the actress, the woman. The character is like, oh, but it could get infected. And, you know, when you're yeah. my age, you can't take any chances. And, oh, yeah. you know, Dr. Green, how sweet of you to take care of such a little old lady. Yeah, and, and, Mark, and say Mark even says, you know, if, you know, if I if I perform the procedure on you, it will cost you one hundred and eighty dollars. Oh, I would so appreciate it if you would do it for me. Yeah. And okay. then uh, and then she's... she ends with now go home to your wife. Yeah. Oh, uh, she's she's so classy okay, and so thirsty. And I love her so much. In continuation of our tradition already established in the last hour and a half of jumping way too far ahead, do do you remember the like close of the loop on this uh, interaction? I do not. Does she come back? She she is the very first official, like not in an like in, in in an emergency type situation of like you know this person comes in with a shotgun wound or like. But she's the first official. Like he goes to a bed and sees a, or goes to and sees a patient. She's also the last. <gasps> she's the she's the very last patient that he sees before he leaves the ER for the last time. My mind's exploding. And he tells her. He tells her when he sees her. Like he, I, I think it's the same thing too. I think it's a hangnail. And he tells her when he sees her. He you know he fixes her up and he does the thing and then he says, "Now you leave this hospital and don't ever come back." And it's so it's like this really cool, like, you know, open, like they, they, they close the loop from the first episode. Like it's, it's so like, and it's the same actress too. Like she's aged considerably and like, it's, it's just so sweet. Like, I just, I I love that. So, but that's way, way down the line. We don't have to get there yet, but like, I just love that this, that's the type of attention to detail that this show has that like they took his very first patient. She's also his very, or, you know, at least that we see. So Benton successfully holds down the fort till Morgan Stern gets in to help sew the guy up. Does the fist pump booyah type thing. Which is the best part about the intro. Iconic. The punch punctuating the music and everything like they try to replicate it with other things after Benton leaves the show and it's, it's never, never, as good. Yeah, no. never as good like they do I, I remember one season they do it with like it's either Weaver or Romano like busting through a door Probably it's, and it's, it's, just, it's Weaver it's never as fucking good like it yeah. just doesn't have the same like punch punch literally you know yeah. no pun intended like it just doesn't have the same yeah. like uh And that goes right into 
get that first sweet sweet opening opening okay 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 i'm so excited to talk about this because this is one of my favorite themes of any show ever and we we kind of touched on this a little bit with the pilot episode but of course we didn't get the intro with the pilot episode so this is our first chance to really dig into it here so good it's so good it's so fucking good it's one of those ones that like no matter how many times no matter how many episodes I'm watching in a row, I will not skip the theme music. Like the theme is crucial to this show for me. Like, and I have to listen to it and I have to have it every time. But there's this one aspect of it that I've always, I kind of picked up on it um, as we, my wife and I were doing our rewatch last year, or I guess not a rewatch, but our like first time through. Have you guys noticed that there's like two different, it's not two different versions of the theme, but it's two different versions of how they take you into the opening sequence. Like, and to, sim- really? to simplify it down to, a, you know, a singular term, like y- there's a twinkle and there's a smash. So like hmm. there are on episodes like this where it's a happy ending to the cold open where, you know, a baby is born or somebody makes a return or like, there's just very like, like happy emotions they tend to give you this nice soft little twinkle and then it takes you into the show or into the, the, the intro on other episodes where, you know, somebody dies or a big revelation is made or like Clooney busts through the door with a, you know, date who's ODing, you know, like whatever they'll go, it'll do like a hard smash and then they'll go right into the thing. Like there's no twinkle. Like it's just, it's, it's kind of like, it's, I, I think it's really cool that it like sets a very specific tone for each episode based on what kind of intro into the theme you get. So it's just one of those things that I kind of look out for. And we will definitely have to look out for that in the future. And it sounds like, now that we know that, it sounds like our theme music provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music, go look him up, was inspired by the the twinkle. The twinkle. <laughs> it was, the it twinkle was a, opening. It was a very correct and dedicated homage that he did for us. And yes. we, we cannot appreciate it. We love him and we appreciate him. Two points on Clooney in this first little touch thing. First of all, he's gone from a full Caesar cut to like feathered, perfectly like quaffed the Clooney hair, hair. the Clooney hair in just we're we're let. I mean, it's one episode, but I mean, I guess they do say eight weeks. So are we? Is that possible? Can you go from a full blown Caesar cut to like perfectly quaffed, like elevated hair in just eight weeks? I was actually looking at some of the pilot again, and he loses the Caesar cut throughout that shot. Oh. Like if you watch throughout the episode, it actually devolves. It's not full Caesar cut through the episode. Okay, see, that's good to know. See, there's something more in that banana bag than just uh, just saline. It's yep. Rogaine. <laughs> <laughs> but then the other thing was, uh, did you notice his fucking aviator sunglasses? Yes. Out of the oh my God. straight out of the like Joe Biden out of touch white guy collection. <laughs> I, it's in my notes. I put wearing aviators up on the helicopter pad while dealing with patient intake does not seem safe. It's going to limit your visibility. You're not going to have the same wind protection as those goggles everybody else is wearing. And you'll look like a tool. And you just know that he had to spend like at least a minute going around trying to find those fucking things so they could then yeah. go up. To, he's like, no, no, no. I got to get my, I got to get my, sh- my shades before we go up to the helipad. Hold on. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> There's like. Sir, the the woman is bleeding out and you're looking for your aviators. Like, let's go. Yeah. Gotta be cool. This is where Lewis's sort of central conflict in this episode kind of comes up between her and the chief of psychiatry, uh, Div Svetic. Dr. Dickhead. Yeah, there's, we, you thought there was only room on this show for one asshole, doctor? Oh, 
boy, are you wrong. I hate him so much. Yeah, he's he's a real prick, and his whole oh, I just thing, his whole thing kind of ends really weirdly. And oh yeah, I don't remember him enough to be upset right uh, now. Oh well, uh, another spoiler alert: he eventually ends up going psychotic himself. How do I not remember? I don't this? think he makes it out of season one either. Like he's he's yeah. one that they gave up on real fast. Like they were just like, nah, we got to get rid of this guy. He's... How do I not remember this at all? Well, well, you'll see it as it comes through. It, be, it becomes more and more obvious as as the episodes go. Yeah, along. and it's much less spectacular than it sounds. Like he doesn't like you know go crazy and like destroy the ER or anything like that. He's just he kind of has a breakdown and leaves. It's it's very anticlimactic. Daniel, we've got a oh hey, it's this motherfucking guy. Oh, would you. that be Doctor Jigsaw? That sure would be Dr. Jigsaw. Oh, man. A.K.A. Dr. Wirtz, who is... Dr. Wirtz is the hospital administrator. Dr. Morgenstern, William H. Macy, is the ER administrator. We were trying to figure and this I out. And I don't... So. I mean, I could be misremembering, but I don't think that Dr. Wirtz is ever seen or referred to ever again so. after this episode. So I don't know, like... Maybe they finally got him that script for Jigsaw ten years early, and they were like, you know, they Maybe. were like, we need, we need to just start getting prepped, start getting old and wrinkly, and shave your head and be real weird, like. But yeah, it was when when he showed up. I was like, wait, I know that voice. Oh yeah, he's so like recognizable, like instantly. Mm. It was it just gave you the heebie-jeebies, even though he's not he's not creepy. Being saw. yeah, he's not creepy in any way in this episode, but he still gives off that vibe. Because we know what he will become. Yeah, he was the definitely the main. Oh, hey, it's that guy in this episode. There's there's not many of them, but he was he stood out. He was it. And he will eventually make Carrie Elwes saw off his own foot. I love those movies. Just the first one. Just the first one. The rest of them are garbage. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Emergency. Uh, grab a crash cart. Yeah, because oh look, that foreshadowing of Mark, <laughs> of oh, Mark's hand being around God. that emergency call button. They all burst into the room, and just kidding, not a crash. Mark's just getting a blowjob. Yeah, MBD. Did, are we actually, like, insinuating slash simulating oral on a network television show in 1994? I believe so, because he is clearly standing and leaning back, and she is fumbling on the floor. I don't know how her earring fell off. Right? Like, like what is I'm the, not even going into that, but... Like... And this isn't a pre, like, Monica Lewinsky world, too. Like, so it's not like it's fun and cute to do wink and a nod blowjob jokes. Like, this is, like, I I did not remember them, like, pushing the envelope quite this much uh, as they are. I love the I love the part. You are with your wife. You're lucky. <laughs> like... And don't, it, the, the clip cuts off before, but don't they immediately after that start fucking with Carter in the stall? <laughs> yes. Yes. Because he's, he's asleep with his pants down in the stall. Yeah. And they just start like hazing uh, him and going, clear. <laughs> that was like, more of a visual. Yeah. Thing. A little, little more yeah. visual. So I didn't really get that. Oh, and here's our weird flex, Daniel. The sex shame rash girl is back from last episode. And they've kind of almost, they've changed her her tone a little bit too like they've taken her less from like kind of creepily intense sexual person to now she's sort of like quirky bouncy like flirty Eh. sort of like well with carter anyway like i don't know if maybe it's tailored because she's dealing with green in the first one and then she's dealing with i don't know the whole character kind of weirds me out like i don't know why she's there it's it's a weird flex. It really is. Like, why are I we going back to the show two times in a row? Like, I, d- I don't get it. And her name 
is Lizzie. Thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, I too am kind of a slut, but you know, not in a really creepy way. And our parents are going to hear this wonderful. Yeah. And then we hard pivot, like, right into... Liz is back. Yeah, we actually learned her name this no, this fucking time. We... Did we learn her name last time? She still... I think she told it last time, because she doesn't say it to Jerry this time. Um, Carter greets her, like, oh, hey, Liz, or something like that. But yeah. I know her name because of IMDb. Okay. Well, I think she... this is the first time we actually hear her name. Fair. Her, hear her name. Is like, this episode. Because she gives Jerry some... Greek, Greek myth- god. Yeah, Greek mythology fake name, and just... After she says, quite simply, my breasts hurt. Dr. Carter, please. <laughs> like, yeah. I just, I, I, I go back to our earlier conversations from episode two. What is the point of her? I, I think I figured out how to phrase it. And I don't remember if I said it last episode, but I think the reason that I have a problem with her character was if it was a man saying and doing these things, he'd already be arrested. Yeah. And... Like if it was a man waiting for a female doctor in her car... Yeah. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. we touched on that last episode a little bit, but... she's That she's predatory, right. I think, was the word we used. Like, she's... Yeah, she, and she's clearly zeroed in on Carter because he's the youngest and because he's the most, like, impressionable. Like, she can get one over on him. And because he can't stop thinking about his penis. That, too. <laughs> yeah. They When they go into the... What is it? The x-ray room or whatever? <laughs> like, I, I don't know what's a worse look for Carter. It's that he's fraternizing with a patient or those suspenders that he's wearing. Like, I'm not sure I love which the of suspenders. The two. Oh, God. He looks like such a fucking, like, Michael Douglas in Wall Street asshole. Like, he looks like just such a chud. Like, I just... Ugh. I don't like the suspenders. I love but. the suspenders. He has the compassion of a two by four like <laughs> he he should not be anywhere near a doctor like nowhere near patient care it's just oh i was saying i, I captured the specific thing a because he says all this shit in front of ozzy the bass well he doesn't know ozzy's there but like ozzy hears that his mother should be lobotomized which could go in there div but also i think it's really the strongest indicator yet that we have that Div is in a downward spiral and that he's headed for that breakdown that he has in a, in a few more episodes. He's certainly sc- screaming towards a midlife crisis there when she calls him old and he's like, that's the thing he takes the greatest offense to. Not that you're a bad doctor and that you lack compassion, but that you might be a He's like, I'm not old. Like, okay, buddy, that's really the problem here. Like, not the fact that you're completely jaded and you've, you're suggesting that, as a psychiatrist, you are suggesting that your patient should be lobotomized. Fuck off. Yeah, that seems like that seems like a less than ideal person that you would want heading up your psychiatry department. But, you know, that's just me. The simple mental health, a simple frequent mental health patient. Different strokes for different folks. And then... Going along with the more, uh, a little more with a lighter tone, uh, we have a heart attack patient come in. The gentleman is in ashless chaps and handcuffed to a woman who is just wearing nothing but a sheet and a lacy, uh, a pair of lacy gloves. This whole sequence is just pure insanity. The patient's name is Neil Shearer. The assistant, her name is Priscilla, right? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, she's like like with the super 90s, like late 80s or early 90s, just poofed out curly hair. I love it. And Mark trying to be the gentleman and 
keep her sheet up. Adjust the sheet as they're walking past. I love that. And I love how she looks back, like, kind of almost angry at first. Like, like maybe she thinks he's trying to lift up the sheet or something. But, like, he's trying to adjust it so it doesn't fall. And I think she realizes that halfway through. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, but she yeah. turns around with this, like, very accusatory face. Like, how dare you? Oh, okay. Sorry. And then Jerry being ever the gentleman, peering out and looking as her butt crack is sort of starts to be exposed because grinning. the sheet's falling down just with a big goofy grin on his face we also kind of establish here and maybe I don't, maybe i'm alone on this and you guys didn't pick the pick up on this for later on in the show but this does sort of establish the long-running subplot of jerry with bdsm like what there is a very sub subplot of jerry like there's a i swear i, I couldn't even begin to tell you what season it's in but there is a patient who comes in who is in like full like gimp outfit like BDSM stuff and like I forget what the issue is but there's some sort of emergency going on with them and it is heavily alluded to it is never spelled out in plain english it is never like it's Jerry but it is heavily alluded to that that patient is Jerry and it's clearly him in the outfit like it's the the size of the guy like it's clearly Jerry but what? that's what that's an episode i think that's in like season like nine it's when, yeah it's way it's after like this when like, carter susan abby and luca and gallant yeah it's it's way way down the line but this i th- and there's like always like it, it's in there like i'm just telling you like there's definitely a subplot of jerry with allusions to bdsm it's in there all it, it, i can't wait until we get there but i just thought that was funny lauren is looking this up and I am, right now and I am fiercely googling trying to see if I can find this. Good yeah, luck. And that actually good luck that with episode that, that you're that episode that you're alluding to is actually one of my favorites of the later seasons for sure. Yeah. Oh, like it's just such a good character episode, but we'll get there in a few years. Then front and then after that we have random black guy with come in and just start loving up and hugging on Dr. Green because as I said, it's the one year anniversary of Dr. Green saving this guy's life. And Dr. Green is like, eh, yeah, sure. I don't know who the fuck you are. Cause I see thousands of patients a year. <laughs> this is so out of place. Like this is such a weird, if they were looking for anywhere to make cuts, I would, this would have been the first place to start. Cause this whole sequence is just kind of weird, but it does bring up an interesting thing timeline wise that I picked up on that I'm kind of curious to see how long that's that um, carries over. So this episode obviously airs in October, like we said, but based on what this gentleman says in this scene, it's August 25th on the calendar because he says it's the one year anniversary of him saving his life. And every August 25th from here on out is going to be Dr. Green day. So canonically, this episode takes place on August 25th. The pilot took place on St. Patrick's day. And we know that eight weeks took place between episodes one and episode two. So that puts episode one somewhere, or I'm sorry, episode two somewhere in like mid to late May. So we've moved up six months or four, five months in total from the first episode to the fourth episode. And it'll be interesting to see how long that timeline holds up. Cause I know we're going to have some like Christmas episodes coming up. Like we're going to have, like, it'll be interesting to see how long they're able to keep this timeline straight before we start fudging with it because they're skipping big chunks of time. It seems like a hard pace to keep up with going forward. Uh, I love it. I think that's, that's, epi- that's really example two of two uh, in this episode. Just really, how they do humor pacing so well just 
random dude in the background that you never see again and just <laughs> the other thing about this too is that i sort of i mean because like we've been calling him dr dickhead this whole time that's the first time that i've really paid attention to his whole name uh div svetic so like two things about that name number one if you just say it over and over again faster and faster eventually it just become divs a dick which is a which is really <laughs> just it boils down the essence of his character number two that is a star wars prequels ass name like George Lucas would that sounds like something he would cook up in his brain like Div Svetic sounds like the most phantom menace ass name I could imagine like that's neither one of those names is a normal person name like I've never met a person named Div in my entire life and I can't remember anybody with a name that even remotely sounded like Svetic so it's just it could be it could be Eastern European or something like that. true and it could be a Div could be a nickname for Dick no no that's not <laughs> You tried. I mean, you're not wrong, but at the same time, I don't know. I've never heard that use as a nickname or an actual name like, either. What would so. that be a nickname for? Like Divin? Like that—that's not a name. Devin. Devin. Like, but you'd be Dev, not Div. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like we're reading a little bit too much into this. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're getting a little bit too in the weeds on Div's name. <laughs> Who smokes cigars uh, at work? Like, is it? I don't know. Seem weird to anybody else? Nah, it's Jerry. I mean, he's off work, to be fair. True, true. But it's just like, I don't know, like, smoking cigarettes is one thing, but like, I don't know, just seemed weird. Jerry's a big guy. He needs more nicotine. He just wants to look like a classy mofo. Which, to be fair, he does, but especially with the way he says Carter. Carter. <laughs> doesn't just say Carter, it says Carter. It's just, it's a good moment between the two of them, and it just, Team Jerry. Yeah, and then uh, the next part of that, that sort of helps Carter along that train of thought of like you know if i come back tomorrow like kind of proves that he will i uh, didn't want to get get to it because it's much more of a visual thing but uh car comes just squealing around the corner and just drifts right into like right in front of carter and jerry and we find out that there's a pregnant woman in the back who's just about to give birth and carter dives in head first while jerry runs to get other folks and a gurney and such and carter to his credit does a fair job of coaching her through the delivery and it is an excellent parallel to episode one when he was so terrified and bewildered in helping that woman through her giving birth where he was holding the head in to this where he's like all right you know we've got you it's okay like he just owns up to it right away and really just goes for it with no help and dad deserves an award for the expert station wagon drift to get them there. Like, yeah. he is, he's driving the hell out of that station wagon. Oh, uh, so, and then you have another uh, indicator of the fact that you're on at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. <sighs> Holy shit, there's so much blood. Lots of blood. And, and fluid. And placenta. Yeah, there's there, there's and just... chunks on the baby head. Like, yeah. Ugh. 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 Sorry. Like, I don't get squicked out by much on this show. But it's the chunks. Yeah. And that, it's the amount. Yeah. And it's just it's like all over the sidewalk. And just Carter's reaction, like he's not like immediately like like a normal person would be like, I should go get cleaned up. <laughs> like, he's like Yes. He's just standing there like, Holy shit, I just did that. Which is an appropriate reaction where your arms not cover where your arms and entire almost your entire front of your torso covered in blood and, and baby and guts. goop. Yeah. <laughs> not blood and guts. 
blood the and whole baby time poop. I'm like, don't touch anything. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't touch. Like he's just, he keeps touching things. Like he touches the door frame <laughs> and I'm just like, stop, dude, don't touch that. Like that's everything has to be burned now because you won't stop touching things. Like you're a doctor. You should know better. This is why the janitorial staff is a key part of any local hospital. Small thing before we talk about that, the background noise. We just counted there are three times where like a freighter or like a container boat. Like a foghorn. Yeah, like a foghorn goes off. And that beach is never populated with anywhere remotely close to anything like that. <laughs> like it's only ever speedboats or sailboats or... The pleasure yeah, cruisers. Yeah, or some, yeah, some like the short short term or like short distance things from like navy pier or something like that so what the fuck is up with it just bugged me a lot that's it's a nitpick i know but oh you want to talk nitpicks i have a nitpick here it has nothing to do with the boat noises because i i don't know shit about boats but (laughs) mark what the fuck man would it kill you to wear a belt he's wearing the most like khaki dad fucking (laughs) pants they even have the little, like, extra button where you pull it across, like, so you know they're extra dressy and extra white. And, like, he, really? You couldn't find a belt? Like, just... And he's got the shirt tucked into... Oh, this man. The pants on this man. Just put on a belt, man. It's not that... You're a doctor, for Christ's sake. I know you only make, you know, $23,000 or whatever the hell. It's 1994. Five, go to Kmart. Buy a belt. All right, I'm done. Can I ask a question? Yes. As someone who just doesn't wear belts, why is the belt important? Well, okay, look, it, like, I'm square white dude, so clearly not the authority on uh, fashion here, but, like, come on, man. It's, like, simple 101 shit. If you're going to tuck the shirt in, wear a belt. That's just, I mean, if, yeah. unless you're wearing sweatpants, which begs the question, why are you tucking a shirt into sweatpants? But if you're tucking the shirt in, wear a belt. If not, no belt. No belt required. If you're going to freestyle it with the belt, untuck the shirt. Like, is this casual or is not? What the fuck are we doing here, Green? You're better than this. It just, it just sort of, the belt would just sort of tie the, tie the whole look together. It took me out for seriously, like, five minutes after this. I was, but because we see him again as he's coming back and he's talking to Susan about it. We, they're, like, framing it perfectly right over his, like, khaki dick. And we have to, like, look at this <laughs> beltless motherfucker. Like, it just, it pulled me out completely. I just, I, need, I needed to get that out. I feel better. Daniel. Yes. We need to have you watch episodes at five in the morning more often. This is glorious. <laughs> yes, I want I want that on record. I watched this episode at five in the morning. A, because I just started a new job and I have less time than I have previously. Second, my cat is an asshole and bit me on the foot. And so I was awake at five in the morning. So you're welcome. Such dedication to our craft. We appreciate you. I just enjoy you getting into the weeds so much about this fucking belt. Like, I didn't even notice it, but here you go. And uh, it bothered me noises, a lot. So. This is an episode that's very light on the Oh Hey, It's That Guys. So I have to look out for what I what I can look out for. And on this episode, I took issue with the man's belt or lack thereof. So moving on from there, it is now 2 a.m., and Doug is now throwing stuff at Carter's butt like a ba- and using Carter's butt as a backboard. To throw things into a trash can. And it, it's like toilet paper rolls. Yeah. And Doug's just doing wheelies in a wheelchair, which there's so many things wrong with that. But apparently Carter lost some bet. We never exactly find out. 
and his suspenders are back, Daniel. He at least has proper yes. pants accessorizing. Yeah, well, first of all, suspenders are never, never appropriate. Yes, like, they are. No, suspenders are awful, and they look particularly awful on Carter. What if you're doing a Doctor Who cosplay? That's between you and Jesus. Um, <laughs> he's... <laughs> I just the the less said about the man's suspenders, the better. I made my peace with it in the last episode. He <laughs> looks like a bad like Michael Douglas and Wall Street knockoff, and that's all I'll say. I love the suspenders. Imagine if we'd have gotten instead of him. Imagine if we'd have gotten the guy from the pilot, the oh. one that was like beating on Green's chest, like you bastard, you like. Imagine him all paled up and dying in the bed, like ugh. Here's a fun mental exercise to lighten the mood. Imagine Nick Cage. (laughs) Or if we're going to go like that, why don't we just go with Owen Wilson then? How about just, wow, I'm going to (laughs) die. But but the thing is, is it's, that was beautiful, but it's within Nick Cage's purview to do something like this, but then totally just left field it. That's the thing. Owen Wilson does not do that. He doesn't take this kind of dramatic role. (laughs) And I just want to say here. But then we revisit Susan's frat boy, Mr. Quinn patient. Uh, He's on dialysis and he's awake, but he's still intubated. So Susan just sort of gives him uh, stern talking to. Yeah. Whip in the ass. Big mom energy right here. Yeah. She is in full mom. Yeah, she says your your kidneys are functioning, your liver is fine. You lost a few million brain cells, but that's fine because you can clearly spare them. Blink if you will never do this again. And just, oh, I would not want to be her kid nope. and fuck up. Because, yeah, that's, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's big mom energy. That's a very good way to put it. Doug, continuing to be just straight fucking trash. Like, this is the most ham-fisted, half-ass apology. Like, he's clearly learned nothing, and he's just... He feels like he has to say something because he's in an awkward situation. And Tag, to his credit, continues to be, like, the coolest dude about it. Like, he's like, don't be so hard on yourself. It's fine. Like... You're not a threat. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's part of it. But, like, he is bending over backwards to, like, not knock this dude's block off. And... I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm so disappointed in Doug in these early episodes. I want to point out he did the polite thing. He let out two properly Midwestern oops when he was he getting in the way sure of someone. He sure did. I, I only noticed the second one when I first watched it, but listening to that clip again, yep. I was like, that's two, that, that was a twofer. Just oh oh, And I loved watching him visibly want to run out of that damn elevator and slamming his head into the wall after Tag leaves. <laughs> It was like, I'm so glad he's at least getting a little bit of discomfort from this situation. Because he fucking deserves it. Doug's still trash. There's so much to unpack here. First and foremost, he is right. It's a terrible idea. Like, that violates, like, so many, like, ethical standards for, you know, doctors, mental health practitioners. Like, oh, yeah. that's, That's not her, that's not his patient. Like, you don't diagnose friends and family. Like, you just... Bad news, bad news bones all the way around there. So Dr. Dickhead has a point here. Time to feed the animals? Really, dude? Like, not cool. Like, it's like he has to have one token, like, shit statement in every appearance. Like, he has to put his foot in his mouth every single time. We get it. He's an asshole. You got to keep that train rolling until he eventually has his breakdown. Well, you it's like you just see his empathy eroding away before our very eyes. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just... 
like really man like you're if anyone should be treating this with some level of sensitivity it should be you and he's just not but all of that is secondary to the most <laughs> egregious issue here is that this man is just we've got another beltless motherfucker walking through this <laughs> hospital with his fucking parachute shirt tucked in. What is that shirt? Why are the sleeves so big? I don't know. Is he a wizard? Why, like, he's got this giant shirt that looks like somebody just let the air out of it. And it's tucked into these fucking, like, bullshit, like, enlightened centrist pants. And, like, with no belt. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? You're a doctor. Have some self-respect. Like, I just... I can't. I can't. I don't know what was happening in 1994, but it wasn't good. Like, nobody's wearing a belt. It Everything's anarchy. I'm done. Daniel, we appreciate you and your belt rants. Well, and I want to know what's wrong with me that I'm not noticing this. Oh, I noticed. I knew Danny. I knew he was going to say something about it immediately. I, I totally, I guess I'm just not staring at characters' waists. This was arguably worse. Like, Green's was offensive, but, like, Green's also a dork. Like, Green, like... He's balding, he's got the glasses, like he's a doc like it's like Green's brand is lovable dork. This guy, like, he clearly like carries himself in a way that leads you to believe that like he thinks he's hot shit. And instead, he's fucking discount Merlin with his fucking <laughs> like I just I the whole ensemble is just fucked. Like, he's just, like, the shirt is awful. The pants are worse. No belt. Like, just get the, just get out of here. Just get out of here. All right. I'm For real, now I'm done. All right. But moving on, we go back to Ivan, uh, who is very, very concerned about the boy at this point. And Benton comes down from the operating room. And Ivan just asks him, you know, is he going to be okay? And Ben just looks him square in the face and just go, no, Ivan, he's not. But Ivan's going to hang out until the boy's out of surgery. And he just sells the stages of stress and just remorse just so well. Like, this is easily his best performance as this character. Yeah, it's, like you said, he, he encapsulates every kind of phase of the stand your ground asshole like i i'm out for vengeance i'm all just full of anger and fear and i'm gonna use it on the first person who jumps in front of me and then you know here the reality of his actions are starting to kind of hit him like a train and he has to like process this shit in real time that now he himself is responsible most likely for taking the life of not just a person but but a child like you fucking murdered a child like that scene like just that little interaction there between benton and ivan like just fucking clip that out and play that at every nra meeting from here to eternity like show that to every one of these stand your ground law motherfuckers that this shit has consequences like you're all big and bad with your fucking punisher logo and your lifted f-150 but you know what at the end of the day like if you shoot someone, you're still a fucking murderer. And it's just, the shit pisses me off so much. And like, this is a perfect example of the real human consequences on both sides. Like a child by the end of this episode is dead. And this guy's going to have to live with it for the rest of his life. And it's just fucked up. Well, this kid's what? Like 14, 15, I think. If that. If that. But like, we're talking young teenager. I don't know. It just, the whole thing makes me mad. And then, it, and then later in the episode, we get even further context that pisses me off to another you know level but we'll get there 
that is just a garbage tier apology. Like, just, dude, no. Like, well, and that he immediately goes like a dog chasing after a postal I, truck. I was gonna say the human equivalent of a bouncing red ball comes like you know running through the scene, and then he's just like, oh, okay, shiny object, gotta go. Ugh. Except instead of a red ball, it's a pair of nice tits. Well, I wasn't going to put too fine a point on it, but thanks, Luke. But yeah, so going from there, we cut back, or we cut over for the first time in this episode to Green, and uh, Jennifer is back, and she be thirsty. Uh, <laughs> she's waking waking him up at 7 in the morning, tells him he's going to be late for work because they're going to be getting a little stanky on the hang down. And uh, although I was... <laughs> I was I was wrong because when I was watching this, I was like, oh, this is the episode where they just fuck the whole time. That's next episode. Next episode is the one where they just do it the entire episode and they just keep going back to it. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. We'll get to that next week. But yeah, so this is a weird tone shift where, you know, Jennifer's like the ISIS thought and now we're like, you know, all doing it all the time. It's it's a real, real hard pivot. No pun intended from uh from where we've been before. And the cop is, this is full disclosure here, folks. This is where I'm going to bring this episode to a screeching halt because I discovered something in the research here that just has shaken me to my core. And I have to, I have to tell the gang about this because someone else on this fucking planet has to experience this shit that I've experienced in the last 48 hours doing this. So... (laughs) And I need to note, for the record, Daniel has not told us what this clip is. Yes, no. We have I've, not listened to it before I've recording. kept it a complete secret just because I need it to be as pure as possible for you. I can't have you exposed to this ahead of time. It's too good. Yeah, he labeled the, he labeled the files in our Discord chat super secret sound <laughs> clip for episode one. And then there's a second one which came out of nowhere, super secret two, electric yes. boogaloo. So, you know, obviously I think we have another secret coming our way. No, no, this it's this, it's all in one. This You're getting it all in one. Oh, it's, it's all, all this? in this. Okay, okay. So, the, so start, starting, starting with, with super secret sound clip number starting one. Starting with the cop. The cop is played by a guy named Mike Genovese. His character in the show takes a liking to Nurse Lydia. Carter's trying to ask him questions about what happened and, you know, just, you know, doctor stuff about the kid. And the cop is, like, super distracted. All he wants to know about is Nurse Lydia. And so later in the episode, we see them, like, kind of hanging out by the nurse's station, looking at pictures and flirting and just the whole thing, right? So this cop, who I forget what his character name is, but he becomes a recurring character uh, semi. He um, And I love him. Yeah, him and Nurse Lydia end up eventually getting married. And, you know, there's a whole big thing. And he, he's here for the rest of the time she is. Like, they're kind of an inseparable thing from here on out. What I didn't know is that they are actually married in real life. So they're an actual, like, married... And what I... What? Yeah, that's not, that's not the big reveal. That's... That, you know, you can look that up anywhere. That's adorable. But yes, they are an actual married couple. What I didn't manage to look up and what I should have is whether or not this is where they met. I don't. Th- That's what I was going to I ask. don't think it is because the way they immediately just dump them into a, you know, romance angle, I have to believe that it's not just that clean of a coincidence, but it could be, you know, have that for your head cannon if you want. The thing that is just so jarring to me. So 
you know, that's kind of my thing on this show is that when we get those, oh, hey, it's that guys, I immediately start digging deep into their IMDb's. I want to know what stupid episode of Murder, She Wrote or what fucking, you know, Golden Girls episode they were a guest star on so that we can have something to talk about on this show. I found the holy fucking grail with this guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Just let me know. Let me know when we should play it. So him and Nurse Lydia, Ellen Crawford is the actress's name. They are starring in a show together, like as of 2018, and I think maybe 2019 as well. I don't know. I didn't. What? I, 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 what? I didn't want to look into it further because it horrified me so much. They are starring. It's okay. It's a show in the loosest sense of the word. It's a web series. Okay. And what I've what I've got here in our first super secret clip is the theme song to the show that they are starring in together. Our second clip that we're gonna play, you know, after we talk about what we've all just experienced with this theme song is a little little short clip of one of the episodes like 30 seconds it's i don't know what this is i just don't know what this is and i need someone else to tell me so let's yes are you about to ruin lydia for me should i take my headphones out so i can preserve her as amazing forever maybe i don't know i honestly don't know and i need someone else to tell me like okay all right let's check out this this uh theme song clip is loaded let's go Our parents were the greatest generation. Our dads went overseas to fight a war. <laughs> as soon as they came back, they grabbed our moms and hit the sack. And there they stayed from 1946 to 64. <laughs> Making babies. Lots of babies. <laughs> the baby boomers. 76 million. And we grew older, but we're not dead yet. (laughs) We're the largest segment of the population. Not the greatest like our folks, but not the worst. We bent the rules and broke some laws, but we were rebels with a cause. We vowed that we would change the world, but the world had changed us first. We still might change it, you never know. Cause we're still boomers, the baby boomers. Despite the rumors, we're not dead yet. Is this a Paul and Storm joke? Yeah, like that's immediately where my brain went when that that music and those voices. I know it's not Paul and Storm, but holy, what the fuck is that? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Like, I can't tell. Like, so they're okay. So this is a web series. It's all on YouTube. Like, all you have to do is just go on YouTube and Google Boomer's Web Series, and the whole thing comes up. I watched two episodes of this thing. <laughs> and they're not that long. They're like I think they're like less than 10 minutes each. They have all of the production value of a school board meeting. Everything is like very poorly mic'd, and like there's no, uh, there's no like professional cuts. Like, it looks like it was filmed with an what? iPhone. What? And they play a married couple, a married baby boomer couple that is old and dealing with the world and everything's scary and awful. And, you know, uh, my wife talks too much and all that. Like, it is just. And what I can't tell is if it's satire or not. I legitimately cannot (laughs) tell. I cannot tell if they are making fun of baby boomers or glorifying them. I don't know. That theme song sounded like they were making fun of them. I, right? That's what it sounds like. Except for the, we're not the greatest generation, but not the worst line. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly, legitimately don't know. And uh, you know, I was what? pressed. I was pressed for time before getting you know everything set up for us to record tonight. And so I wanted to clip out the first interaction from the very first episode, which is like just pure baby boomer like it is just like their daughter new daughter-in-law is coming over for dinner and he's like i don't want to she's vegan i don't want to be vegan like i don't want to eat leaves like he's just being such a fucking asshole and like <laughs> and i'm just like i don't know what this is and it's breaking my brain so i already had <laughs> i already had episode two in my doc so that i could clip out the theme song and so I just went ahead and clipped the first 30 seconds out of the episode unfortunately Mike the cop is not in this interaction he's he spoiler spends this entire episode in the garage smoking weed watching Gilligan's Island what the fuck <laughs> I mean that's not a bad way to spend a day I, I know but just what so this is the first 30 seconds of the episode it's Lydia talking to their neighbors about their son and his new wife and you tell me if this is satire or not. Okay. He's been holed up in that garage since yesterday. Becca thinks he's showing signs of dementia or depression. Who's Becca? Our daughter-in-law. I thought her name was Becky. It was. She changed it. I thought her name was Angie. Angie was Josh's first wife, dear. Oh, she was such a sweetheart. Oh, wasn't she? I miss her. We all miss her. Except Josh. He seems happy. Well, that's too bad. I know it really is. What the fuck? What? What in the name is, of all things holy? It was that. Is this real or is like what? Ah, life has no meaning anymore. I don't know. Like, I, mm. <laughs> did I just have a fever dream and wake up? It's insane. Like, if you want to live in the same fucking shadow realm that I do, just go on YouTube and look up <laughs> Boomer's web series. I swear to God. Every episode has like 500 views, which, you know, don't get me wrong. I've got like four videos on my YouTube channel. They've got a combined like six views between them. But like 500 views for a series like she was on ER for a long time. Like she was on ER for like almost 10 years and she's doing this shitty fucking which I mean, it's either the shittiest web series I've ever seen or it's the best web series I've ever seen. I it all hinges on whether or not this is satire. And I think it's like it's like Rick and Morty levels of like intellectual comedy here. I have no fucking clue what I'm looking at. I I I have nothing. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how we steer out of this skid. Uh, just to, suffice to say, if you are at all have a masochistic streak, just, you know, go on YouTube, check this out. Maybe you can make sense of what the fuck I just watched. To wrap up the fucking Carter interaction with the kid, kid steals Carter's uh, EKG caliber out of his pocket to try and pick, his, pick the lock of his handcuffs. And Carter sits there and stares at him like a fucking deer in the headlights. Like, this is so clearly out of Carter's little rich boy depth, but he eventually does snatch the thing back from the kid before he can get himself out of the handcuffs and uh heads off to the ambulance bay after connie comes in to grab him i'm sorry i'm just reeling from what the fuck we just listened to i'm i'm sorry to go back to it but was, yeah, was that worth the, the hype so you kids have fun was that worth the hype though like yes that was an excellent mystery good, good job god like, I'm just like my brain is just like trying to comprehend the audio quality of that first part. Like, is it? I'm like, is that really the audio quality? Is. Like, is that okay? So is, literally that clip, the like first little like as soon as you hit play, that is the second. I mean, the absolute instant that the theme song ends. 
Like, there's no fade. There's no transition. It's literally just theme song ends. She starts talking. There's no transition whatsoever. It is just, I don't get it. You're better than this, dear. Uh... And she looks fantastic. She looks great. Like, she's she has aged, like, really well. And actually, he doesn't look terrible either. But, I mean, he does. He really steers into the whole boomer thing. But, like, I don't know. I don't fucking know. But we have to get out of this and move on. But, like. Yeah, no, my brain is just going to keep exploding throughout the entire episode. And I apologize if I come back to it every now and then. But, okay. And after that, we get more into we get more into the Halei and Benton and uh, Mookie storyline. I'm not sure. Do we? Is this where we learn his name? No, we learned it previously. Okay. She was like, his name is Mookie, and okay. Halei is really laying into Benton though, like following him into the men's restroom while he's changing for his fellowship interview and giving him all of the attitude. Like, no, you were supposed to take that kid you were supposed to do this and ben just looks at it looks at uh, at her and says what am i supposed to be the big brothers program yeah and then also in the background while they're having it out jerry just you just see jerry walk in and then immediately walk right back out like grandpa simpson from uh, from the simpsons in the brothel episode jerry's <laughs> just, nope. jerry's u-turn is just, jerry's background stuff like i, I I will mention it in more detail a little bit later, but like Jerry's background stuff in this episode is impeccable. He is so, so good here, even for Jerry. Before we cut over to the Mark being sick, we have uh, Langworthy just shows up for a minute and Halei asks if she's excited about the news about the Starzl Fellowship being announced today. And yeah, they sort of brush it off and move past it really quickly. But then, oh boy, we get into uh, some prime time. Yeah, some prime time, 9 p.m. side boob content. Uh, <laughs> tasteful, yeah. tasteful side boob. Sure. Yeah, but uh, Mark and Jen are very much getting busy in probably the most sexual content you can get away with on a network television show in 1994. Right? Uh, it's obscene. Oh, it's crazy. Like, I don't watch Grey's Anatomy. I've never watched Grey's Anatomy, but I know that's a more like romance oriented show uh, that just happens to take place in a hospital. I'm genuinely curious. Like, do they push the boundary to this degree at any point? Because like, this seems like a scene and a, a, a plot line that would fit much better in a show like that. And I don't even think they push it this far. If I recall, there may be one or two episodes here. I've I've seen it on the background when my sister watched it when I was still living at home and. I think maybe once or twice they do because it was, you know, more modern TV and they could get away with it a little better. Which that's that's kind of what I'm shooting at here. I mean, like that's a show that's got, you know, 10 years of loosening the standards of TV and what we can get away with. And, you know, it seems like if they're going to push it, it would fit much better in like a 2005 and after type of world. But like 1994, this is like, come on, guys. Like As America has further shed its morals for the shedding of clothes. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah. You know, but yeah, yeah, I think I think it's much more common in uh, dramas today, like Grey's Anatomy. And then from there, we go bang bang right into the episode. the tw- The tinkles do not exist. You don't know anything. I'm gonna be such a smug asshole the first time we get the tinkle again, but. Now is not the time for that. That's fine. It's just like our belts versus suspenders war. I will win. 
as many battles to come, I imagine, yes. with this with this TV series but as I, we move through the fashion of the mid to late 90s. But as of right now, we are into episode 8. Yeah. And there Six are no tinkles. 6 to 1. 6 to No, there's one. There's been one. There's there's an yeah. introductory tinkle, but There has been one. <laughs> introductory tinkle. An introductory tinkle. <laughs> we all have Warren, that first thing I in love the morning, you. don't we? Oh god. <laughs> Nothing like a little pee humor to alleviate <laughs> how awful this episode's going to be. Anyway. Anywho. Well, there was also a little bit of growth for him. I think it's this interaction or the next one where at one point he, I forgot to write down when this happens exactly, but he's like, how does Mark get this all done? And I believe it's Jerry who's like, he stays four hours after yeah. the shift. Like, he doesn't go home. Yeah, further illustrating that Mark is just an absolute fucking machine and just, like, your shift's already 12 hours. <laughs> you said fucking non- machine. Non-sexual machine. <laughs> I hate you all. This podcast is canceled. Have a nice day, everyone. Thank you very much. Any Patreon dollars will be refunded. <laughs> just kidding. We're going to keep doing this because we're all idiots. Clearly, we enjoy it. Yeah. I forgot what I was saying now. <laughs> he's, a fucking, he's a fucking machine. He oh, puts yeah. in the work. Speaking of uh, new new people introductions, uh, okay, we get Bob now? Yeah, this seems early for Bob. I knew Bob was season one, but I didn't think it was first ten episodes season one. But we get Bob. I, I forgot about Bob. What about Bob? What she uh, she plays a much a much a bit of a bigger role later on, but now she's just being introduced as this sort of semi broken English speaking Eastern European. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, Eastern yeah. European, very small lady. Isn't she like a volunteer or something, or like a, not a clerk, but a um, like an orderly, like something yeah. like that. Like she, she like changes the beds and stuff like that. Like she yeah. does like the the grunt work. Yeah, she's so, like the brown scrubs. I was gonna say, and yeah, she has a very long name that I I didn't even write down because I was not gonna even try to pronounce it. But and then Doug's like trying to try to pronounce it too. I was like, eh, how about how about Bob? Bob sounds good. <laughs> and then Mookie comes in and is like. Bob, see? That's cool. And he's, like, real warm to her, and I think it's really sweet. Like, it shows a kind of, like, sweeter side of Mookie than what we've seen. Not just trying to sugar talk Halle, not just trying to, like, smartass with Benton, but he's just like, yeah, that's cool. Like, just being real supportive, and I like it. So Bob is arguably the most significant thing to come out of this episode because we've we've established at this point this episode's a fucking mess and there's really not that much that you need to pull out of it but bob is really interesting to me so when i was watching this show last year uh first time through spoiler you know bob is a character who's here with us for a while and then bob just kind of disappears there's not really a big resolution to bob as a character bob just kind of hangs out for a a while i'm not even sure how long she's on the show it may be i think she survived season one but i feel like she might disappear sometime in season two or three but it's very early and you know relatively speaking in the show's run so i was like it was a few episodes after the fact and i was like oh yeah what the fuck happened to bob so i was like googling and trying to figure out like you know what happened to this character and i actually stumbled across i guess what would be the early internet equivalent of like a message board of er fans and i wish i had like kept the link to it because i've haven't been able to find it since but it was this was stuff like from the era i want to say the posts i was reading were from like 96 97 
And huh. there was there was actually an official term amongst ER fans for side characters who would be introduced, play a semi-significant role for a period of time, and then just sort of fade away into the background. And it was that they got bobbed. And <laughs> so I feel like that should be our official term as we go forward for people who just show up. They're significant for a while, and then they just kind of fade into the background, and we never see them again, and we never get an official resolution to their storyline they you know so and so got bobbed i think that's I, that's her most kind of significant contribution to the show unfortunately is her sounds disappearance good to me. and then we go to lydia's walking through the nurse's station and al shows up her future <laughs> husband and he's brought in a patient for doug because no one else is available and this fucking dweeb is a animal rights activist who kidnapped a turkey from a display, a live turkey, a huge turkey from a display because he felt it was being abused, being displayed at this Thanksgiving pageant thing. It was in no danger right then. It was part of a show. But this idiot steals the turkey, throws it in the car, nearly gets pecked to death, and in a moment of terror, snaps the bird's neck. And feels so ashamed, but tells Doug that secretly a bestial part of him <laughs> liked it. Oh, well, we'll get to that. Well, it's a little not, bit. Yeah, but so he does this, and then they the crux of it is they bring the bird in, because the bird was still in the car. They're like, hey, you got a turkey for your potluck later. Yeah, and Tag walks by, and is just like, oh shit, is this this bird? Oh man, I, I love these. Like, blah, 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 blah. Like, this is great. This thing's huge. And somebody's like, oh, I don't know if you're going to be able to get food prep to cook it for you. And Tag's like, no worries, I got this. Takes the bird away. I used to defeather these, th- these things all the time when I was so, a kid. We see how that goes later. But boy, howdy, I love Tag in this scene. It's so great. And, like, just Al and Lydia are just laughing, and Al is loving telling this story. It's so good. <laughs> and said idiot is played by a guy named Graham Jarvis, who, holy fucking shit, this guy might be, I think, the most decorated, oh, hey, it's that guy that we've had maybe in the entire run of the show up to this point. Like, he was definitely a guy whose face I recognized, but I was, like, floored when I looked at his IMDb how prolific this guy was just listen to this this is a selection of credits from his imdb first of all they date all the way back to 1952 so we're starting in 1952 with this guy and we're gonna we're gonna run all the way up to 2003 when he you know unfortunately passes away so starting in 1952 this is a list of shows that he has appeared on and what a fucking murderer's row of shows this is here we go Guiding Light, All in the Family, The Odd Couple, MASH, Gunsmoke, The Bob Newhart Show, Sanford and Son, The Love Boat, Starsky and Hutch, Mr. Mom, Cagney and Lacey, Fame, Married with Children, Murder, She Wrote, Charles in Charge, Murphy Brown, Star Trek The Next Generation, L.A. Law, NYPD Blue, The X-Files, The Drew Carey Show, Jag, Six Feet Under, and Seventh Heaven, which he spent seven seasons on until his death from cancer in 2003. That's where I recognize him from. That That was a list. And there's dozens of others. Like, this is just the selection. Like, these are the highlights. This is this guy was in everything for decades. I mean, you're talking about from 52 to 2003. This guy had a 50-year career in, in film and TV. That is insane. The fuck? So, yeah, I just wanted to highlight him before we, before we 
we joke on him too hard for getting pecked to death. I just I just love how he how his character is. It's just he presents it so well and so dweeby and I love it. But then we 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 have a a big shift. Susan and Mark are on the roof, I think. Yeah, they're up on the roof. They're talking uh Susan's finally getting a chance to talk about Div's depression. She's telling Mark what she thinks and like she's like, "Yeah, I know you don't like him, but he's really struggling and I just I need somebody to listen right now." And Mark's just like, "If he's that bad, he shouldn't be treating patients. Like he needs to go get help." And Susan gets really mad at him for this, and I'm just wondering like Susan, why are you getting mad at Mark when you asked him for advice? Like, you solicited this conversation. You knew he was going to say this. Yeah, she doesn't want advice. She wants affirmation. Like, she wants to be told that everything's fine and not to worry about it. And he's telling her what she already knows, but she doesn't want to hear that because she doesn't want to accept that about him. Right. But yeah, so just little friend moment there. And she just storms off in a huff back to whatever she's doing. We flip back over to Clooney with Turkey Man. And I just wanted to note, Clooney has great hair here. He's way away from the from the Caesar we had in episode one. It's full <laughs> Clooney floof right here, and he's rocking it, and he's so handsome. And yeah, then all of a sudden, we, fl- <laughs> we look over, <laughs> and all these trauma rooms have windows. You can see into the trauma rooms, one to the other. They look over, <laughs> and Tag is using one of the... F- like gurneys has the turkey on it and we just see him going to town plucking this turkey it's just it is a cacophony of feathers and i know cacophony is a sound word but it is a maelstrom of feathers in the next room and the guy is just like can can we shut the window please it's like oh god but what have i done but tag has the biggest fucking smile on his face and it's just (laughs) Part loving of, life part of me thinks it has to be the actor like how great is my job that i just get to sit here and look like a manic idiot for 30 seconds i know he's going so fast too like it looks like it's almost at twice the speed like they should be playing the benny hill music or something like can this please be our teaser for this episode just tag plucking <laughs> that turkey all right noted i'll, I'll keep that in mind because that's not a tonal difference from what actually happens in this episode at all. I mean, I'd rather have that than... I was going to say, I'm not cutting things. any of that other stuff. No. So. so if it wasn't obvious from that clip, uh, we are have our Christmas episode of season one. Yay. Happy holidays, everyone. Um, from a salty retail worker. Yeah, I'm a Grinch. <laughs> you know, 14 years and doing retail retail christmas time is just it just leaves you so bitter it just leaves your soul like just just shriveled and dead i've got enough christmas spirit for the both of us swear to god if i hear all i want for christmas is you one more time i will personally find out and punch mariah carey anyway we have a 25 year old uh gentleman who was crashed a snowmobile with no helmet. Friendly reminder to use your helmets when you're doing any sort of... Uh, Recreational vehicular operation? Yeah, that's a, that's a good word for it. Let's go with that. That's a lot of words for it. <laughs> but that's that's a good phrase for it. How about that? So yeah, he's basically not in great condition. The guy says he has a Glasgow score of four, which that is a reference to the Glasgow... Glasgow? However you say it. Glasgow. Glasgow um coma scale which the lowest you can get on that is three which means 
if you have a three, that means your eyes won't open, you have no verbal response, and you have no motor responses whatsoever. So that basically means you're brain dead. Although, granted, a four means you're basically brain dead as well. Um, Yikes. Yeah, it goes all the way from from three to 15. So this gentleman is not in good condition. He could be on veggie tails. <laughs> <laughs> that got me. <laughs> God damn it. (laughs) So yeah, and a bunch of firefighters are also watching while he's being treated by the good folks of the ER. Some nice camaraderie going on there. We we don't really hear what happened. We just see it was like a big accident. And yeah, they're all just watching their comrade and hoping that he's okay. And yeah, that's one that barring a miracle he's not gonna make it like i feel like i remember watching this one with jen first run and i remember her saying like jen also used to be a volunteer firefighter too so like she has some experience with all this stuff and and i remember watching this one with her and she was like no he's dead like there's no way he'd be he would recover in any sort of meaningful way is there anything your wife can't do uh, laundry, cleaning. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, I do all of those things, so it works I out great. Dare you to leave that in and see how quick Jen calls us and yells at us? Leave it in. It'll be six months to a year before she ever listens to these, if ever. All right. So famous last words, Daniel. So hello, future Jen, and yes, that is your husband being an asshole on. <laughs> on no, I'm not being an asshole. It's it's balance. We got you know we're we have 21st century gender roles i do all the cooking and the cleaning she goes and makes all the money it's great but then after that we go over to precious baby carter looking just so absolutely lost and how to scrub in like his hands aren't even sanitized and he does like the whole like backing in and opening the door with your butt (laughs) thing that that they do and benton's just looking at him like fucking god god damn it dude like <laughs> you haven't even washed your hands yet you're fine yeah he's like carter you don't have to do that you're not even sterile yet <laughs> and you know benton actually very nicely just sort of walks him through how to, how to properly sterilize you know the different motions he has to do with this with the and how to scrub and they're like there's like a very specific way you need to do it so which you know germ control being very extremely important you know in any open procedure like they're doing so, you know, Benton walks him through it, and then Carter is doing it on his own and just looks absolutely fucking terrified. One, two, three. <laughs> yeah, he looks terrified to be doing, to washing his hands. He looks terrified to be going even in doing the proper timing on the butt door open. And he's just, uh he's just such an awkward baby, and I love him. <laughs> Yeah, it's just physical comedy is incredible in this scene. Like, it's Carter actually kind of steals the the scene a little bit. And we get the first appearance of, I believe we get the first appearance of Shirley. I think this Mm -hmm. is because we haven't really been in an OR before. That's, yeah. So, yeah, since the pilot. When, yeah, so Shirley, who I believe is there like the entire fucking series from now on. Yep, she is a lifer. Which, go her for that study of a paycheck. And who is the actress that plays her, Daniel? Dinah Linney. And this is far and away her most kind of notable role that she's ever done. But yeah, she's she's with us for all 15 seasons. From She's going to be here the for the duration. 
she kind of reminds me of Wilson from Home Improvement, where we really only ever see her behind the mask and the goggles. <laughs> they let her uh, open up a little bit, you know, so to speak, a little bit later on. Like, she, you get to see her face a little bit more often. But yeah, these early seasons, and especially in this episode, this episode, I don't think you see her face at all. You don't? No, yeah, she just has the the surgical mask on and is just helping Carter get all of his shit together, you know, get his gloves on, which of course he fucks up and then has to smock. Yeah. Get his, yeah. All of his lovely stuff on. And then of course Carter immediately is just like, well, where, where do I stand? Like, and just slowly, but surely works his way over towards Ben and then taps Benton (laughs) on the shoulder and is like, you know, where, 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 uh, you know, where should I stand? I don't know where, I don't know where I could see things. And Ben was like, he was like, well, not right. He was like, well, not right in my light and don't touch my shoulder. And then, uh, and then not Anspa. Um, Morgan Stern. Yeah. The Morgan Stern's like, you just contaminate yourself. Surely get him out of here. And he just immediately whisked away. <laughs> like, and just unceremoniously dumped out of the room by Shirley. And then we have a complete unexpected 180 to Doug and Linda having a very intimate moment. Hard pivot. And it just very much frames the status of their relationship in this moment. Yeah, there's a whole extended, like, 30 seconds to a minute long of just them fucking... Probably 30 seconds. Yeah, but... So we will join them... After. With their, in this audio clip after the bang. Post-coital. Yes. <sighs> what was your name again? <laughs> Oh, someday I'm gonna believe that line out of you. What are you talking about? Can you remember the names of all the women you slept with? <laughs> no. Well, so, someday you'll forget mine. Well, you're assuming that we won't last. Well, yeah. <laughs> hey, where are you going? Oh, I've got the conference in the morning. We treated this older couple today. They were married 48 years. Ah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. They seem pretty happy about it. That's them, not us. How do you know? How did they know? Because if it were us, we wouldn't be doing this. We'd both be married, have daughters and Girl Scouts, be renting the Lion King. We would never have met each other because we would already be committed to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Don't you want that? Not now. Not with me? Same thing. Why don't I want it? Because you are afraid. Most men are afraid. Of what? Responsibility, aging, death, diminished sexual capacity. <laughs> See ya. We have so much Clooney chuckling in that clip. <laughs> but yeah, so so she fucks and runs and leaves him just like <laughs> just like, huh. So that's what that feels like. Yeah, she has a remarkably twenty first century, I guess, attitude. You know, like that, that I feel like that's not a attitude from a female character that would have been seen as acceptable in a 1994, oh, no. 95 world. So I feel like it's kind of interesting again to see the kind of curve. Sometimes they're a little bit ahead of the curve. I feel like it would have just been beginning to be more popularized. Like you have friends on, you have 
Seinfeld on, and like that's the kind of shit Elaine would get up to. Yeah, that's so, true. So like it's it's just one of those things where I think it was just then becoming more modernized to where it would be acceptable to show that kind of behavior on TV and have a woman who was like, no, I'm about my career. You're just fun. So, okay. Anything else on Linda and Doug? Nope. No, she's hot. He's hot. They're hot. <laughs> Clooney. Yeah. Clooney. Can the Clooney laugh be our death jingle? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, no, for several reasons. But speaking of horrifying things, at, at the end of this, uh, Susan gets a page and has to head downstairs. And when we get down there, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> just the most fucking horrifying Pivot. shot. Yeah, swing shot over to Kaysen, who's just standing there room. in the fucking dark of the doctor's lounge, like looking like a fucking serial killer. Like. <laughs> I just thought that face with the with the ghost div from a few episodes. Susan, Susan, <laughs> Susan. just the troubling old men of Susan's life. But just like stone cold standing there. Is our arms crossed? I forget. No, they're straight down. Daniel, can we get a can we get a video clip of this uh, please for this episode? God. Just this transition. Just flop. <sighs> we both yelled. It's not great. Yeah, we like we legitimately like screamed a little bit. <laughs> Benton is such a nerd. <laughs> this fucking Your muffin fruit plate brand muffin. <laughs> I love it. And the the visual there is the dude behind the counter. He's sitting at the counter, and the cook and behind the counter is just shaking his head no, like. And idiot. looking at yeah, looking at him like like he's a fucking idiot or something. Like, of course not. Why would the fuck would we have a brand muffin? Like, this is Doc Magoo's. Sir, this is a diner. Wendy. Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a great end of the episode. Oh, we're not done with the episode. We then switch over to Carol or not Carol. Susan. We then switch over to Susan, looking from her shitty little blue VW Bug Beetle. Bug, beetle, interchangeable? Interchangeable. Sure. Anyway, looking out of her car into the windows of the diner, it's raining, and she's sad, and she's watching everyone have fun, and she drives off. <laughs> it has everything but the Charlie Brown music. Like, just... <laughs> exactly. That's that's what I was, th- wah, I was, wah, 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 I was definitely wah, picking up Charlie Brown Can vibes. we talk for one quick second, too, about the looks on everyone's face right as Doug says he wants to give a toast? Like, the look of horror just, that comes across oh, no. all their... They're all like, oh, no. Because oh, no. I'm sure everyone has probably heard at this point through the grapevine about Doug getting his fucking block knocked off by Tag a few episodes ago. Like, I'm sure that everyone has heard about this. So I'm sure they're just like, what is this fucking asshole about to say? Like, just keep it to yourself, dude. But he does. He behaves himself. Like, give it up. They're just all sipping their tea, so to speak. Also, who the fuck brings te- tequila to a goddamn... Uh, Fucking Timmy, that's who. Ex- I guess, but yeah, just pouring tequila from a brown bag while eating diner food. So from there, we jump over. Uh, we- we're going to check back in with Doug, who he's kind of getting his main patient for the episode here, uh, treating a boy with a broken leg. A little kid named Zach. Looks to be maybe about, I don't know, 10 to 12 somewhere in that range middle school aged 
he's played by <laughs> he's played by a child actor named Trenton Knight, who Again is another with the names. I know another weird names with unimpressive resumes. This is another one who's got like nothing interesting to speak of on his um, IMDb. However, with one one specific caveat to that, uh, he is he appears in a Cheech Marin movie called Charlie's Ghost Story from 1995. So this same year that uh, this episode airs. And the only thing that's interesting about that movie is the poster for it. And I'm going to link a picture of the poster in our uh, our little group chat here so that you can see. Because this is literally the only interesting thing about uh, young Trenton here. What the fuck? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> What yeah. the shit? That that sure is Cheech. That sure is Cheech. Yep, dressed like the uh, fish stick guy for some reason. <laughs> he's got I... like the, the rubber fisherman. slicker. Yeah, he's got like the rubber slicker on, and they're like fighting on a boat for some reason. I'm I'm never gonna watch this. Oh, it I does might. say it do- now. However, we should point out it does say in the description for this movie that it's directed by Anthony Edwards. I don't know if it's the Anthony Edwards, what? as in Mark Green. I'm looking uh, it up. I got it, I got it. If it is, I it think is we It is, in fact, the Anthony <gasps> Edwards. Okay, well, so we're definitely going to do a commentary of this at some point because I have to <laughs> yes. know what this movie is about. Yes, because I this... have to know how they got connected to where this became a project. <laughs> this is, yeah. What so, the shit? So the other half of this interaction we've got here um, – Zach is brought in uh, by his gym teacher who I guess they were like doing wrestling or something. And he says that he's done that move on kids a thousand times and it's never hurt them before. So I guess they were doing like wrestling moves or something. The actor who plays the gym teacher is a guy named Brian Cousins, another completely unremarkable IMDb. But what I did think was hilarious about him was that he has his own trivia section on his uh, IMDb page that says he's often confused for Steven Weber. <laughs> what a pathetic <laughs> piece of trivia. <laughs> like, that's the most pathetic, uh, sad piece of trivia I've ever heard. Also, for that movie that we were just talking about, Charlie's Ghost Story, it also also starring Anthony Edwards. Okay, well, well we know what we're doing we, for his movie now. I was going to say, wow, I must know so much more about this. this okay. Is gonna be- I vote this is our first commentary. I'm oh, gonna... no, no, no. I don't think I can make it. I don't, I don't think we can. Let's start with a good movie when we do those. Okay. You don't know if this is good. We don't have, we have no idea if this I... is good. This could be a masterpiece. There is no way this could be good. It's got a 4.6 out of 10. There's got a... no way this could be good. It's got a 4.6 out of 10. Okay. That means I'll like it. Anthony Edwards <laughs> as Dave. That's going to be really weird when we start doing those commentaries, <laughs> trying to get used to these people being referred to as other names. Why does Stephen Kearney sound familiar? This is a rabbit hole. <laughs> I know. I like. I really did just mark. This. Is this what happens to you when you're researching? Hey, it's that guy's. Sometimes, but like, I really did just flag this just because it was a funny poster. I had no idea that I re- literally just when I put that thing in Discord, I saw it said directed by Anthony Edwards, and I was like, huh. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. So- Moving. Getting back to the episode. <laughs> So we get another interesting ERism here. We get some, I think it's Halei, says to maybe Mark. I know someone says it to Mark. Yeah, says crispy critters coming in, which means that, um, according to my notes, it says guy tried to rescue animals from a no, fire. No, he, he rescued a woman. 
yeah, that's why I'm saying, what the fuck? No, it's, I must have been drunk when I was writing this. Um, so Crispy Critters coming in, it's because it's somebody who went into a burning building to try and commit a rescue. Try and commit a rescue? Yeah, try and rescue someone. <laughs> fuck it, I'm done. To try to rescue someone. But anyway, so Crispy Critters coming in. A guy tried to rescue someone from a fire. He succeeds, but that's where that colloquialism comes from. Morgan Stern is so proud of her in this shot. Like, he is just beaming. She's shown a lot of growth just from one episode to the next. I mean, I mean, I don't know how much real time has supposedly passed between the last episode and this one, but, like, she's basically done everything that he asked her to do in the last episode. Well, everybody's still in winter coats and stuff when they're coming in, so I'm guessing it couldn't be more than two months. Yeah, fair. But, yeah, she's just a cold, hard bitch getting facts out. And not taking any of Case and shit. And Morgan Stern is so proud. I would have thought this would have been longer. This scene would have been longer based on how much they've sort of been like playing Susan's anxiety up about it. Well, I don't know. Because if I were in her position, no matter how short the meeting was going to be, I would have still been petrified. That's true. But like, to be a woman in her position. It also, like, it seems like it comes, it comes in kind of in the middle of it. But like... Also, it seems like they got everything out in like a minute and a half. I don't know. I'm not. It just seems like it would have been a little bit longer scene. But we played you the entirety of it. All one minute and 22 seconds of it. I'm just happy with how disappointed Kaysen looks. <laughs> oh, he gets some more comeuppance later in the episode, too. Yep. But here it was just good enough to see him like be like, wait, what? It's my fault. Accountability. That's Shit. A th- that's a thing. But she's a she's a girl. She's screwed up. So it's clearly her <laughs> fault. I just had a horrific image of Kaysen in that voice, and I don't ever want to... But yeah, he's clearly used to punching down, and they didn't let him get away with it here. Yep. And then we hard pivot into some hardcore sex noises from Carolyn Tag. <laughs> yeah, talk about a tonal shift. Jesus. Thank you for not getting this audio. No, of course not. Just, ugh. I will try my best not to capture sex noises. Or smoochy sounds. (laughs) Kissy noises are gross. Stop it. It's awful. Prime time in in 1995 was wild. I know, right? Like, Carol is going at it. Which, hey, good for her. Good for her. Do do your thing, girl. But, like, not even, like, 30 seconds later. And I, I get I'm watching this in full hd on a you know big screen television this is not how it was viewed in 1995 when it was on tv so i'm sure it wasn't as big of a concern for them but there is full view tag ass like oh yeah i totally missed it oh yeah it's it's not it is not just a little bit of a crack it is not just a flash my man stands up and there is like moonlight flashing off his ass like it is how did i miss this there is a full moon in that bedroom like it is it's all there. Yeah, go, yeah. Go back and go back and check that one out. Well here's here's the other risque thing that happens here is uh, Carol's just like, Oh, do you still have some of that edible massage oil left? And Tag's like, Well it gave you a rash last time and Carol's like, Oh, we could try a different flavor and then we find out that the bag that had all their kinky sex shit in it, he <laughs> left it under the admin desk earlier in the episode. And he's like, oh, God, I can never go back to work. 
so once again, going back a few episodes in which we kind of got sidetracked in that one episode talking about the much later, much uh, ballyhooed subplot with Jerry's obsession with BDSM. I feel like this is the genesis of it. Tag leaves that bag underneath the admissions desk. Jerry finds it and it's like an, an awakening for our large, our special large boy. Like he I just, still don't believe that that's Jerry in that episode. It is yeah. though. It is though. I refuse to believe that it 100 percent is though i wouldn't be surprised but i will wait to be convinced on that episode it 100 percent is and i feel like this headcanon this is where it starts because he finds tag sex bag (laughs) which is a weird thing to say out loud now that i wish now that i said it i wish i hadn't (laughs) can't unsay it And then for something completely different, uh, something kind of creepy. Took the words in, right out of my mouth. In our humble opinion over here, at least in mine. Chicago. And, yeah, at least mine and Lauren's. Uh, Doug stops by Diane's office to see if her son Jake is around. That's not weird <laughs> at all. Nope. <sighs> not at all. His Her, like, 10-year-old son that he's met once. Yep. Things you can only do when you look like George Clooney. <laughs> And they're in 1995. Um, yeah, no, but he's like, oh yeah, hope you don't mind if we shoot hoops every now and then. You know, it's like, promise not, I promise not to pass along any misogyny with my bas- with the basketball tips. Which, you know, is oddly self-aware for Doug. Well, because she had made the comment when they met up last time. And she was that's like, oh, true. my friend hates your guts. Yeah. But still, that's that still seems like an oddly self, uh, self-aware comment for him. You know, she, uh, Diane, obviously dislikes him, but let, like, if she hates him, why is she letting him play with her fucking son? Because it's fucking Clooney, and even though she hates his guts or has been told she needs to hate his guts, it's still fucking Clooney, like, you know. Ugh. He's charming. It just, what, this is one of those, uh, this is one of those things that were, I'm sure one of a million other things as we even go on and a million things we've already even talked about that just that watching this in 2019 bugs the shit out of me a lot more than I'm sure it would have if it would have been 1995. Uh-huh. Uh, can we get, uh, can we get Lydia being a creep for this, for this one? <laughs> Cause it's uh, so cute. Either that or the smooch at the beginning. Oh, Lydia. With Al. Oh, oh Lydia. It's our favorite little thirst trap. <laughs> it's only funny because it's so true and i love it oh my um, god but i also want to note it note here that um this is where it truly begins between mark and susan like when he says like well i'm married too and walks away susan looks like she had never actually like considered that or realized that before and then she kind of like like just kind of like bites her lip a little bit like Huh. Oops. Their like their interaction in this episode is the most like f- they've like swung the pendulum completely in the other direction. Like they've gone from being yep. at each other's throats to now like it sort of seems like at least in in interaction in communication they seem to be dating. Like it's that sort of like interplay they between get the it. two of them. Yeah, it's really weird how quickly we've swung the pendulum. For sure, but. Either way, I'm happy to see them on good terms again because it's way more fun when they're like this. And I just love Lydia. She's perfect. Even if her later YouTube career choices aren't so much. (laughs) 
Okay, so before we get into how great this entire scene is, I want to point out, Jerry says, Guy has doused himself in gasoline and threatening to drop a match. This guy does not have a match. The entire time he is waving around a Zippo lighter. It's a figure of speech. (laughs) And you know it. No, I've never heard that as a figure of speech. I don't know if figure of speech is the right word, but it's a, it, it was a, I don't know. It's just word choice in the moment. Like he, I don't know. Like it's. I guess if you really want to like nitpick it, sure. I do because that's what the show is for. And <laughs> if I were Jerry, I would have said, and is threatening to go up in flames. I would not have specified what utensil he's using if I'm going to be wrong. That is a real stretch there. Oh, gosh. Kid. <laughs> well, you two can argue with me on this, but I'm going to hold to it. This is the hill you're going to die on this episode? This is the hill I'm going to die on. Oh, there's one other one later, but this is the big one I'm going to choose to pick on Jerry for this episode. After that, we just have Carter just being rude. (laughs) Just being straight up rude to Benton. Benton's clearly on the phone and talking with someone, and Carter's just like, Dr. Benton. And like getting up in his face and like tapping him on my shoulder. Dr. Benton. Dr. Benton. Ma. 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 Man, man, Peter. He's trying to get Ben's attention for the ever-pressing issue of, oh, what are the chances of what that I would get the internship? Like that clearly can't wait like thirty seconds, and all he hears is Benton talking about a birthday of some sort. Doesn't have any context whatsoever, and Benton says, "How many people have applied for the internship? Well, twelve so far, and with me it would be thirteen. Well, I'd say then that I would say they're about one in thirteen. <laughs> I love I fucking love Green's uh line after that though. He kinda walked into that one. Like it's yeah. just mm, nailed and it. And Carter is now freaking out because he thinks it's Benton's birthday. And Jesus Christ, Carter. Like I think I feel like he's trying to grasp at a straw to maybe like redeem himself for Get the, some favor. Yeah, to try to make himself look good. And because no one really knows about Benton's personal life so no one even would know if it was his birthday right. which it's not and, you know Carter asked Mark is like oh could we could we do something for that like trying to like be nice and he's again, not trying to be he's yeah. not yeah he's not trying to be nice okay. he's trying to be a suck Fine. up trying to be trying to be a dirty rotten little suck up and you know he's like oh and Mark's like oh talk to Lydia she can usually throw that stuff together pretty quickly so, because of course it's Lydia. Of course it's up to a woman to do the emotional labor. No, but not any woman, not any of the women in the ER. Lydia specifically. Oh yeah, but I'm if just any, saying. If, of course, if anybody in that ER was going to throw a raging party, we can all agree it would be Lydia, right? Like, it would. Yeah. Lydia and Jerry, I feel like, would make an amazing party planning committee. Yes, but let me have my salty women have to have the emotional labor comment. No, I understand that, <laughs> but I'm just saying it's very much in character. It with sure Lydia. is. All right. Well, let's bring the mood down once again, as we have to. <gasps> go, we have to go back and check on the uh, gunshot wound little boy from earlier, uh, which we're now meeting the dad of the small child with the gunshot wound, and surprise, his dad is a cop, and the cop has guns in the house. Who could have foreseen this? Uh, so the other kid, the one who shot the kid, he is sitting there justifiably freaking out because he's, you know, probably in all likelihood murdered his brother. And so he's 
you know, understandably upset, crying, kind of rocking back and forth. And the dad just will not let up on him. Like he's like snapping at him and tells him, shut up, stop crying. And he's like several times, he's like, shut up. I said, shut up. And then when it finally, like the gravity of the situation kind of wait, you know, hits on him. Then he's goes into like dad mode and he's like, I'm sorry. He, like sits down next to him and tries to comfort him. He's like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And then he's like, then he starts in with the like, Oh, I always keep my guns locked up. But I must've forgot. I must've forgot. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it wasn't worth having them in the first place. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. And then the, the weirdest fucking part. Okay. Before I get into this, but, uh, the quickly dad slash cop is played by Mark Ralston, uh, who has roles in Shawshank aliens, uh, rush hour and the departed. The departed. Um, Thank you for correcting it. <laughs> and uh, but the by far the most frustrating part of this sequence, beyond just the like whole you know, oh, I always keep my guns locked up. There's no way they could have. But yeah, whatever. Um, is that we never come back to this storyline at all. Like there's no, we don't find out if the kid lives or dies. We don't find out if there's any. There, there's no arc with this. Like it's just we just leave it here. And I, I, I just bleh. You know, I think they're just really just saving all of Doug's uh, white knight bullshit. Well, maybe not white knight bullshit, but all of his righteous fury for uh, this next little scene here, uh, because we revisit the the little girl who, quote unquote, fell off the balcony. Turns out, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, about that. The docs rolled her over to do something. And there was a huge fucking boot print bruise on the back on her entire back. And Doug Ugh. Doug with justifiable righteous fury just storms out of the room. You could practically see the smoke coming out of his ears. And just says son mutters under his breath, son of a bitch, and just marches towards this guy. You know, everyone's trying to stop him because Malik knows what Doug's about what Doug's about to do. God. And Doug just starts beating the shit out of this guy. Or at least trying to beat the shit out of he, this guy. He does at least uh ask the guy to like let let him see his boot print first. Like he does at least do the detective work, the the bare minimum detective work of just like does the boot print match and when it does, then he's like, Okay, game on and beats the shit out of him from there. Yeah, and props to Malik and Jerry. They're trying to do what they can for as as impromptu security people to just try just try and stop Doug from like killing this guy almost. Yeah. It, it didn't get quite that far, but like the way Doug's acting it like he might not have stopped. And I can't say I fully blame him. Yeah, I mean it's no. it's obviously a super fucked up situation. I will say though based on the definition and like perfection of that boot print on that little girl's back he must have straight up fucking 300 at her off that balcony like he must have just like kicked her as hard as he fucking could and just yeeted her out into that fucking driveway (laughs) oh Oh, that's that's a terrible visual thank you for that (laughs) daniel i'm just just saying he yoked her So we get another timestamp. It's 12.45 a.m. now, so it's about about an hour since the last time we checked in. Jody's asking for an epidural. 
they shock the baby to wake him back up, <laughs> which sounds much more uh, like awful than it really was. It was. It doesn't. <laughs> reading that off the page sounds awful. It's not really shocking. It's just a little instrument that just goes buzz on her belly. Right. Yeah. It's just kind of like to, hey, wake up. So okay, this is my blinking you miss it like little thing in here that actually. I was really proud of myself for catching. So they asked for an epidural. So an anesthesiologist comes in. And when I say blink and you miss it, I mean, you get maybe like a half second glimpse of this guy's face as he comes in. And it's just like, hey, I'm the anesthesiologist. Like, it's super quick. But I looked and I was like, hmm, that looks kind of like the guy from the 40-year-old virgin. And sure, sure enough, I went and looked at IMDb. It is the guy from Forty Year Old Virgin. So, my question is: uh, actor's name is uh, Shelley Malil, by the way. My question for the both of you is: A, did you see Forty Year Old Virgin? And B, do you remember uh, Steve Carell's like Middle Eastern uh, coworker? Not the not the little guy with the beard who's like always making dirty jokes, but like his like kind of angrier, younger. Um, Middle Eastern co-worker? Yes and no. I did see it, and I do not remember. Okay. Yeah. Uh, same with me. Yes, I have seen it multiple times, but not in quite a while, because awkward comedy and me don't get along these days. Sure. And no, I do not know who this is. Okay. So there's a character in 40-Year-Old Virgin, and I'm blanking on the name here, the, the character's name. But basically, he's one of Steve Carell's like, co-workers at the little, like, circuit city type store that he works at um and he's got a couple of bit lines with him and scenes with him uh haziz that's the character's name is haziz and if you go back and watch like it'll be definitely one of those like oh hey it's that guy moments but the most interesting thing about this or the most terrible thing about this is that this anesthesiologist character the actor who plays him is doing life in prison currently (gasps) what yes he is doing life in prison for murdering his ex-wife so yeah, so I think we have our first convict convicted murderer on the show. <laughs> we have our first. I hopefully that's not too much of a trend. Although with how many background characters there are in this show, it's bound to come up eventually. Right? Who knows? Yeah, but yeah, if you like, like I said, blink and you miss him in this episode. But he is he's it's definitely the same guy, and he is definitely doing life in prison. So Jesus. Did you catch who this person is, the actor playing our pedestrian hit by a car? I did not. I did not, but I'm tr- and I'm trying not to scroll ahead on my on my uh, condensed notes to see who you put. So I'm gonna be good <laughs> I, and not. Che- I didn't. I, did not I didn't put. I didn't put. I, I I purposely left it out because I wanted it to be a surprise for you because this is far and away, um, not probably the it's by far and away the most significant oh hey it's that guy of this episode and he's in contention for the most significant oh hey it's that guy we've had so far okay like in the no whole i did show. not catch it all right so we will we will cover that um when we get to deb and carter doing their little race to see who uh <laughs> who, who stitches him up faster um but just keep it in the back of your mind it's somebody you know very very well okay i'm really excited now i want to know do you want him to spoil it for you now? No, no, no. I can wait. Because <laughs> in the meantime, we have one of my favorite actors ever show up for the first time. Uh, Mark is over. <laughs> Mark has not, in fact, gone home. He's over in Doc Magoo's having a bagel and some some coffee. Uh, and in walks, oh, 
Michael Ironside, how much do I how much do I love thee? Let me uh, count the ways. Yes. Uh one of my favorite just role actors, not really ever the lead in anything, but he's there in the background in a lot of like military type movies. Like he's one of my, he's I, I just I just love him and I need to replay Command and Conquer three now because he is so over the top in that and it's beautiful and uh, go watch Starship Troopers, everyone, if you haven't seen it. Hold, and even if you have seen it, go rewatch it. It holds up so fucking well, and he's amazing in it. I want to point something out here. I just went to his Wikipedia, and his filmography has its own page. It's not like a little <laughs> section like you would have. It's got its own page on Wikipedia. Yeah, the dude, I'm just like looking at like 1994 or something. He did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He did nine movies in 1994 alone. He's a busy man. Dude fucking works. Uh, Another but, Top Gun alum, too. Exactly. With, yes, with we, we will get to that in just a Sorry. minute. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but in his other filmography, I just thought this was hilarious when I was just looking through his his Wikipedia page. Um, his first film was in they did was in 1997. It was titled Outrageous with an exclamation point at the end, and he his role was simply drunk. <laughs> And Which his, is weird because I can't imagine him playing drunk. And his next few movies were Highballin', where she played Butch. That's not really good, funny. Uh, 1978's Power Play, where he plays Torturer. <laughs> 1979's Summer Children, where he plays Pimp. Jesus. 1979's Stone Cold Dead, where he plays Murdered Police Detective. Not just a, <laughs> not a police detective, a oh murdered police detective. I want all these characters to be in one movie together with him playing every role. <laughs> and, 19, and concluding with 1979's The Family Man, where he is simply bartender. And then sure. he actually gets gets into more named, named roles. Yeah, named roles. Wow. So what okay, so let's let's go around the table here. What's what's the first thing you remember seeing him in and like what was your impression of him the first time you saw him? The first thing I actively remember him being in was uh, Starship Troopers, for sure. Yeah, I'm looking through, and I think I think it's going to be Star Stri- Starship Troopers for me, too, because I was too young for his first run on um, ER. Yeah, when I saw Starship Troopers for the first time, I was like, oh, hey, it's that guy from ER. <laughs> so you remember so, him from ER first? I will, like, I didn't, he didn't, like, like, he looked familiar, I was, and then... And then when my brother told me, it was like, oh, yeah, he was on the air for a few episodes. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. Awesome. And the rest my, is history. My first impression, or my first, like, notice of him was in the Hillary Swank Karate Kid sequel, uh, which I believe was called The Next Karate Kid. So it wasn't even a numbered sequel. And he basically played, like, the leader of the, what that movie's equivalent of the Cobra Kai. Like, he was the, like, lead bad guy. And he, I thought, was the scariest motherfucker on planet Earth in yeah. 1994 or whatever year that movie came out. Like I, and also I kept getting him confused for Jack Nicholson. Like I was I like, is he the? Like I was like, is that the Joker? Like, is that the same guy? It is not. But <laughs> um, other his other I think really huge role that he's that he's probably known for to some of our audience. Uh, he plays uh, the role of Sam Fisher. The vo- uh, he's the voice actor for Sam Fisher in the Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell series. Can can I put him on the list of um, ER alums that we do a potential movie for? I would totally be down for watching. That Starship would open Troopers. up so many possibilities. I know. Just, <laughs> would really expand the list. 
Patreon.com slash uh, the Tone Podcast. You can help us unlock those. Oh, Michael Ironside. So uh, Mike is going to be with us for seven episodes total, but his his run as a regular character is like tragically short. He is only going to be with us um, for seven episodes total, five of which come before the end of season one. So basically he's going to appear in every episode the rest of the way for season one, and then he will fall off the face of the earth. And like, as far as I know, he kind of, for lack of a better word, gets bobbed. Um, even though he does come back later in a couple of one-off appearances, there's never, to my recollection, there is never any um, concrete explanation given for the disappearance of him as a regular character. He's just sort of here for a while until he's not. But he does make a, a return one-off appearance in a later season episode. I'm not 100% sure which season it, it's in. Um as like a guest appearance where he gets to talk and stuff. And then as we mentioned, this was the character that I teased a few episodes back that we were going to be getting. Um, who's one of my favorite, like any, he, and he is, he's one of my favorite, like minor major characters. Like his run is incredibly short by the numbers, but I think he is very memorable. Um, and as I mentioned in that tease, he does actually show up at green's funeral. Um, doesn't have a speaking part at that point, but just is there. And I thought I thought that was a really nice touch that they included him in that because he is a significant part of Mark's story. And can I point out how memorably he shows up on this first episode? <laughs> so, as we mentioned, Mark is chilling in Doc Magoose, eating a bagel, being sad about his life. And all of a sudden, this, this hulking specimen in bright colored bike spandex with a bike helmet shows up, walks in, starts unzipping his jacket. Sits down right next to Mark, says, huh, you work around here? What's good on the menu? And Mark totally rebuffs him, like, doesn't says, say anything. And no, he, he says nothing. Oh, okay. Yeah, what's good on the menu? Nothing. nothing. And then goes, well, you're eating the bagel. That looks safe. Maybe I'll go with one of those. And Mark just kind of shrugs and goes and sits at a booth. Completely <laughs> blows him off. He, Not, he says, excuse me. Like, he says, he, he does. excuse me. And then bows out. But just wants none of it. This is going to be important later but yeah just goes and sits at a booth by himself clearly mark doesn't want to talk to anybody especially strangers in biker gear not biker gear is in harley davidson <laughs> biker gear is in spandex and oh. bright co reflective colors so you don't get hit on the road but now but now i'm picturing michael ironside coming in on like a harley davidson motorcycle in like easy rider with like the big handlebars but wearing this outfit and it's it makes me very happy I'm glad. If any of you are good at Photoshop, please bring that to us. <laughs> and we go back to check on Deb and Carter, and they are nitpicking um, about the procedures that they're working on and everything, and talking about stitching this guy up. And Deb's like, you know, how do we how do we track shared procedures? Who gets to log this? Like, you know, how do they handle that? And Carter's like, I don't know. And I think it's Deb that says. How about whoever sews more takes it? And, like, he's, this guy's awake the whole time they're negotiating over who the fuck is going to get to count this in their thing. And as, as he's awake, they're, he hears Deb go, you know, if you slowed down your stitches, you, you know, they wouldn't invert so much. Like, <laughs> All like, right. Hey, so you're doing a subpar job. It, so it's time for, for you to find out who our patient is here. Uh, like I said, this is somebody you know very well. Uh, you've seen him in, in several different things, but one thing in particular I know you'll know him from. This guy is, uh, he's a bit of a renaissance man. He's good with numbers. He is an inventor. He is a politician. He, 
gosh. He enjoys calzones. Adam Ad- Scott. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> last episode we got what? little baby we got little baby Bradley Whitford in last episode. This episode we get little baby Adam Scott. The ice clown. The ice clown himself. The mayor of Ice Town. One Mr. Ben what is the la- what is his last ben name? Ben Wyatt. Ben Wyatt. One Mr. Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec. Adam Scott. Looking like the most nineties boy there ever was with his fucking like half bowl haircut, like he's a Backstreet Boys reject. Now I have to go fucking I know. I'm like I wanna go find a clip. I'm gonna see if I can just Google Adam. It's all it's all in the eyes. It's all in the eyes. If you look at the eyes, you're like, Nope, that's that's Adam Scott, one hundred percent. And then one little trip to IMDB later and it's him. Holy shit, so it is. (laughs) Wow, baby. Yep. So that is, uh, that's our big, oh, hey, it's that guy for this episode. Um, but we don't get much time to enjoy that before the uh, guy who actually hit little baby Adam Scott with his car uh, collapses with chest pain. Oh, no. And that actor is played by Steve Franken, who beats out Louie from earlier in the episode with 179 credits. He prices right at him. Uh, with 179 credits across multiple decades. Um, he was in Westworld, the movie, not the show. Um, Thank you. And uh, Can't Buy Me Love, uh, the, one of the Beatles movies. And yeah, he passed away in 2012, unfortunately. Carol checks, and it's time to implement disaster protocol. We find out that there are a ton of patients coming in. I believe they said a fire was what the yeah mostly third degree burns like 15 major casualties yeah so they are told to start implementing disaster protocol and on good faith carol starts paging everybody who needs to come in and um susan just starts getting the er ready and we page doug and we see that he's in bed with diane leeds scandal and i put in my notes they still not dealt with lydia and daniel i see corrected me lol linda in all caps but lydia sounds like a far more interesting conflict so oops my bad guys stop picking names that sound so familiar that we still have not dealt with the fact that linda has not been written off the show yet so doug's just sleeping around new relationship with diane leads everything's great daniel thanks for correcting me that's why lydia's uh, not in this episode because she is on a romantic getaway with doug Hey, I'm here for it. Our favorite thirst trap. If she could get it, go for it. <laughs> um, so Linda is just gone. And Doug's like, well, shit, I got to go. It's 2.30 in the morning. And Diane's like, what is going on? He goes, this is just my life. He goes, can I come back and see you, though? It shouldn't be too long. And she's like, there's a spare key on the kitchen table, but you have to be back out before Jake wakes up. And he's an early riser. All right. I would like to point out that Mark's get, Mark gets off the brown line at Chicago, which is where we've always seen them get on the L when they're coming from the hospital. <laughs> so continuity error, number 8 million of 1 billion. But other than that, oof. Just all of it. Just Mark, baby. Mark's taking this well. Yep. Yeah. And I said maybe, you know, maybe they pick the Chicago platform just to make it clear that they're in Chicago. We need to be reminded. Yes, you need to be beaten over the head with the fact that the Chicago ER is in, is in Chicago. Exactly. But then Mark sits down on the bench on the platform instead of going anywhere. Yeah. And we leave him there for I now. I just want to give him a hug. I just want to give him a sandwich. 
and a hug. Why a sandwich? Because he just, it's just, I like food when I'm sad, and I thought he could use some food because he's sad. Oh, all right, so here's the here's the highlight of the episode right here. <laughs> Doug calls Carter over to do a suprapubic tap on a baby, which sounds just delightful. Uh, and we, we have a, a very dehydrated baby uh, with a temp of uh, 102, uh, and we get a nice uh, giant tight shot of his uh, bare genitals. Um, we got baby dick and balls in this episode. Just right there, front and center. Um, what the fuck? Network television. Like, this is not This is not also, like, a, uh, a, a byproduct of us watching this 25 years later and having 60-inch televisions and HD everything. Like, there's a close-up, okay? Like, there's, like, two shots. Like, very, like, back to... There's a they're very... Someone had a very concerted effort that we were going to see baby dick and balls in this episode, and I don't understand why. I don't know why that was important to the story. But, you know, and then two seconds later, baby pees all over Carter. Cool. It's all over. The whole, this whole scene, super weird. I don't, I, like, I just don't know why we had to frame it that way. But, okay. Like, I feel like we could have easily had the, you know, the gag. Because that's the whole thing is setting up, is just so this baby could pee all over Carter. And I don't know why we needed to like establish that this baby was equipped before we I, did that. I love that Doug's like, okay, not too much pressure. And Carter's like, how will I know if it's too much pressure? And as he's asking, this baby just unloads on him. And he's like, yeah, that was probably too hard. <laughs> Carter, Doug's just like, <laughs> like that. Mm. Um, and speaking of weird ass patients, we have Susan <laughs> going over to check on a woman. Oh, uh, yeah. Again, just a one scene patient, but. The woman, her husband thinks she is par- has paranoid psychosis with highly detailed delusions. <laughs> and, you know, her and Susan are talking. She seems very normal. You know, she's like, Susan's like, okay, do you think anyone's following you? She was like, can't be too careful on these streets. It's, ru- it's getting really rough out yeah. there. Do you think you're in danger? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. And she's answering all these things very calmly, very matter-of-factly. <laughs> and I forget what the exact question is, but... She says, like, oh. I think it's, um, I think it's, oh, gosh, what is it? It's something about, like, do you have any medications or, like. Oh, yeah. She, uh, yeah. So, and then, and to we, she's very calm and very, very collected about everything until she gets the question of, whoa, what medication, uh, Susan asks, what, what, what medications are you on? And she's like, oh, I have them right here. Or the list or something. Yeah, or... I have, I have. Yeah, and goes in this, roots around this giant ass purse, starts, you know, has a wallet, has a little stuff, has some mace. Brass knuckles. Then she starts pulling out some brass knuckles and a revolver. And, and ammo clips. Yeah, and... And I was, I was wrong. It's d- the name of her psychiatrist. That's what it was. It wasn't medicine. She says, are you currently seeing anybody about this? Can I get the name of your psychiatrist? And the woman's like, yeah, I have his card right here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Giant gun. Giant yeah. gun. And lots of ammo. And which Susan's just like, the fuck? And this woman's so matter of fact and polite about it. Like, yeah. non-threatening. Yeah. yeah. Susan's like, can we take those to security while, you, while you're here? She's like, oh, yeah, of course. 
I don't mind at all. And then with a, she's like, I still got my Beretta. And then just whips it out. In of front, her waistband. And, yeah, off her waistband. <laughs> just whips out a Christ. pistol. What the fuck? <laughs> as for gun control as I am, I'd feel much safer if we had a bunch of little old ladies like this on the streets. Oh, I would. Yeah, I would. I would not actually. <laughs> yeah, especially in a diverse city like Chicago. Okay, fair. I don't need her paranoid ass running around armed to the teeth. Okay, but if she was sane and just adorable and polite like this, then she wouldn't have the, all that weaponry. <laughs> okay, fine. From here, after. After Doug drains the fluid, he walks out, and Diana's sitting at the nurse's station on the phone, and she asks, pepperoni or salami? He's like, for what? She's like, on your pizza. Dumbass. He's like, oh, I think he says pepperoni. I don't remember. It's it's irrelevant, but... <laughs> she's like, okay, uh, Jake, order, order, some, order some pizza. We'll be home soon. And he gets to go home with Diane and eat pizza with his best friend and his girlfriend. And Mark better watch out because he's got competition for Doug's best friend in a 10-year-old boy. Also, I have never heard before this episode of putting salami on pizza. Thank you. I was going to ask about that. I wanted to know if that was a weird Chicago thing or... I know you, I know you people it. love your sausage over there, but like... Sausage. <laughs> but that's... To Shut me, that more. just sounds gross. Like, salami on pizza just does not sound good. I'll try it. I mean... We do Italian beef on pizza. Yeah, which is fantastic. Never had but it's, it. But it's ground up. Like, to me, I'm thinking salami. Like, I'm thinking in the same sort of, like, orientation as the pepperoni. Like, big, big like, circles. And, like, salami's yeah. just kind of a thicker, heartier meat. Like, that just seems... But you could thin cut it. I guess. I don't know. This is... I, I don't see any... It's not inherently offensive. I was just like, wait, what? Yeah, it's just strange. It's, it's just... To me, it's it's milder than pepperoni most of the time. Like the salami we got this week? Yeah. It was milder than the pepperoni I had. Yeah. I also think of salami as like a cold meat to like a cold cut. Yeah. So like so the idea of yes. salami on pizza as it as hot is like equally kind of off-putting where it's, I'm going to have hot salami. I'm, I wish I hadn't said hot salami, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> gang, gang, this is making me really want pizza. And then we get Susan's, is this Susan's first patient of the episode? I think so. I feel like I'm t we're terrible about <laughs> actually tracking which one is the first one for each doctor. But uh, this is her first patient of the episode uh, with a guy who presents, emphasis on presents himself as yes. a urologist with frequent kidney infections. She asks for a urinalysis because he's asking uh, for meds right away. He, like he's doing a very good job of playing the doctor role very well and we'll see later on why that is um we did make note that the guy looks very familiar um i was sort of unable to place him the only things i could find on his imdb that that he's known for is a steven seagal movie hard to kill <laughs> and uh he plays the iconic role of aging hippie in forrest gump so clearly this guy's very prolific maybe i've seen forrest gump enough times that he's just subliminally <laughs> Sub fuck it he's just stuck in the back of my head and i was like i recognize him but i would never be able to place him yeah i don't know but yeah so we'll, we'll come back to this guy we will circle back and find out what the rest of his story is and it is he's not all that he seems and i would like to uh, just circle back to the woman we were discussing from twister her name is rusty excuse me rusty schwimmer wow related to david That's a i name. hope i 
don't I don't see that on you, her. You know, you would have been able to bring that up because we were going right back to that girl right now. Oh, uh-huh. Okay, well, there we... Continuity! Exactly. I totally planned this. That's It's fine. It's fine. But I know her also as well. She's from The Perfect Storm, which I've seen way too many times. Starring George Clooney. Exactly. Patreon.com slash Lighting the Tone Podcast for our monthly movie commentaries. So now we go back to... Um to the girl who had passed out and carter is working on her with doug i believe it's with doug yeah or is, is it with benton at this point no it is with benton yeah you're right oh okay. it's yeah it's with benton so benton's come in to take a look because benton wants to save everybody's life and um all of a sudden they realize that the girl's breath smells like fruit which is very very common in diabetic ketoacidosis so the woman with her who we believe is her teacher didn't know she was diabetic um, Benton orders potassium immediately for her to try and get her levels under control and get her out of get her out of ketoacidosis. So she's good. She's getting on the mend. They're still getting a hold of her parents. We flip over to Susan and Carol, and Car- Carol goes, "I have nightmares of getting married in a peach wedding gown." And Susan's like, "I think it's a nice color." And Carol goes, "Do you have to wear it every day?" Susan's like, no, but why is it that doctors wear white and nurses have to wear, you know, peach? Just just random one-off conversation with the two of them. But I just, I think their interactions are always so cute. And there does not appear to be any relation between David Schwimmer and Rusty Schwimmer. Well, darn. Rusty, Rusty Schwimmer. That sounds, like, it sounds like a sex thing. <laughs> <laughs> a Rusty Schwimmer. Yeah, what the what the fuck's a banana fish? <laughs> I, That's really the lesson we want you to take away from from, t- from today. Oh, I, I asked myself folks. the same what question the when fuck I was is watching. What a banana fish? But just just oof. All of it. Just Mark, let it go, man. There's such a thing as knowing when to cut your losses, and if there's anything that's ever gonna tell him to just just yeah, just just let it go, man. There's you're not coming back from this. Right, and it's like, where was this compromise months ago? Right, yeah, it's not until he's, like, pretty sure he's lost everything on the other end that now he wants to try to reclaim, you know. That's why, like, as as shitty of a character as Jen can be sometimes, Mark's not innocent here either. Like, he's just as shitty as she is. Like, they're both just bad fits for each other personality-wise, so it's just, it, like, just let it go both on both sides. Just let it go. For sure. So then we go from that little bit, a little bit of heartbreak into something, to, to the beginning of something. To the beginning of... The beginning of something equally ill-advised. Exactly. But... Yikes. Yeah, so we... we ha- <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, so we have uh, Benton and Jeannie talking about their college graduations and different life stuff at Doc Magoo's, having that dinner that they agreed to earlier. So let's... Let's hear what they have to say. So she, she stood up when she started to applaud. In the middle of graduation. <laughs> the whole medical school was staring at her. <laughs> when I graduated from college, my father danced. What's wrong with that? On a table. I hope my kids don't sit around laughing at me. Better than hating us. You don't hate your mother. Just because your mother's great doesn't mean mine was. Thank you. 
so, um... She's never gonna get any better, is she? There won't be much improvement. And there's not a damn thing I can do about it. No. I, uh... I wouldn't be getting through this thing if it... Peter Benton can get through just about anything. He used to think so. Oh boy. So yeah, that's real heavy-handed. Yikes. So I, I can't decide which... Uh, so I, I have, like... This is a very, like, brief and very ill-advised little tryst coming up here like this might even i think this does bleed into season two i'm not 100 percent sure on that but i feel like it does yeah but this this doesn't last super long but like it's just a bad idea all the way around and i want to coin like a stupid fun name for it and i can't decide which one i like better ben lay or bulenton which one which one do you Bulenton. Like? i think I like bulenton the, I, yeah i like bulenton as well so this is the genesis of bulenton Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, this is a bad fucking idea. I... Just like that name. Well, you know, it fits. The opening of this episode makes me so hesitant to start. <laughs> we opened with what I can only describe as a, vo- a vocal yikes from me. The episode opens with Mark sitting shirtless in his boxers in the dark, staring off into the distance. And who boy, Anthony Edwards shirtless looks exactly how you think Anthony Edwards shirtless <laughs> would look. But I actually yelled yikes the moment this opened because he just has this dead-eyed stare and we don't know what he's looking at. I thought he was at his apartment, but then, no, we pan out and he's watching Jen sleep. Oh what? Boy. Oh boy. Um, and do the creep. Ah, <sighs> and do the creep. <sighs> and for, for our patrons... Our notes get infinitely better with my commentary as I'm watching this unfold. Um, And I noticed in this shot, there are a lot of browns. His boxers, the blanket on the chair, the curtains, and the potted plant behind him. It's all just a very muted, creepy, just blech tone. And then Jen wakes up and doesn't scream at seeing Mark standing next to her window, shirtless, in his boxers. And she just goes, what you doing? Mark goes, I'm thinking. And then he proceeds to tell some sappy reminiscence about the summer after Rachel was born and all of them sleeping in a hammock together and wasn't that so nice. And then he leans over and drops an I love you and kisses her. Um, Stop trying, Mark. Please just stop. Stop trying to make Fetch happen. And then... um. And then he goes, we've been sharing the same bed for a week. Like, why can't I get any? (laughs) And she's like, I'm just not ready yet. And this is context that would have been great two minutes ago at the opening of this episode if they could have just done a Star Wars crawl. Oh, my God. Dear viewers, Mark and Jen have been staying together 
and it's okay. What the, you were about to see is not potential murder. That would have been great. The dead marriage speaks. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what the episode of this title should have been. So yeah, this whole thing just had me getting goosebumps and just so much nope from start to finish. I know. Like, we left off in last week's episode with he's going to be sleeping on the couch reluctantly, like from Jennifer's perspective, like she yeah. is reluctantly allowing him to sleep on the couch while he searches for a place of his own ostensibly. And sh- she then is seen crying as he goes into the next room to like read Rachel a story. And then we hard pivot the next week's episode into with this, like what? <laughs> she just can't resist that mousy, mousy dad bod. Oof. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. It's just, it's a look. Then we have a go to yet another patient. Uh, we have a gentleman coming in just with a cut hand from slicing a bagel. So, which, side note, I recently found out that people from Missouri apparently slice their bagels like into, like, they don't slice it in half lengthwise. They slice it like, uh, like you would slice bread. Oh. Like into yeah. two pieces or like multiple pieces? No, like into like like a seven loaf. or eight pieces. Oh no, that's yeah. that's um, no. What? There was that's... there was a huge thing on Magic the Gathering Twitter about it uh, like last week or so, and that's that's serial killer that, behavior. Exactly that that was. The... How would you then like cons- like how do you put the toppings on it? It's an awful ratio. I guess you just do it like you would do like cheese and crackers or something he like said that. he said this is specifically people from cincinnati no missouri oh, missouri like the guy the guy the guy who started it was is i a, see missouri well eh. yeah as a guy yeah as a well-known magic guy in missouri that's that's kind just, of known as being a little backwards so i guess i could see <laughs> fuck the cardinals okay uh <laughs> This week's episode is directed by Quentin Tarantino, for better or for worse. Um, <laughs> this is very much a, I mean, once we get into the episode proper, I mean, this really, like, it's pretty abundantly clear this is this is a Quentin Tarantino thing. It's kind of got all of his trademarks. You know, we've got kind of some cartoonishly violent sequences, and we've got gratuitous shots of women's feet, and, you know... Clooney says the n-word like there's just all sorts of Quentin Tarantino trademarks in this one I'm not I'm kidding about the n-word part but okay um, I just looked at Lizzie completely perplexed at how we missed that (laughs) thank you so yeah Quentin Tarantino directing this week's episode and um yeah we'll see as we go along here that's kind of sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a little bit of a weird thing it's it's a divisive thing this episode it is a divisive topic that's for sure yeah this is going to be one I'm going to say, if you aren't watching along like with us while you're listening to this podcast, go back and watch this one, because it is honestly, if nothing else, it is one of the most unique episodes of the series in terms of like yes. how it's shot and just the dialogue and how everything just plays out. I love it. Spoiler, I love it. My co-hosts are a little bit lukewarm on it. I think but... I think we kind of bridge the spectrum here. I think you really love it. I'm sort of like somewhere in the middle and Lauren is not a fan, but we'll we'll see what what we get out of it. Yeah. Lauren, yeah. you look like you have something to say. No, we'll we'll get into it. Okay then. Which I just have to say, it's weird because I'm a big Tarantino fan. I like a lot of his work, but his style it didn't really seem to fit 
the show to me, but we'll get into it. I'm just saying that's okay. where I leave off with it. But speaking of people doing their thing, um, Susan and Carol in the next scene are walking down the hall just looking like, I love Pulp Fiction. I love Reservoir Dogs. Is- I love Re- Reservoir Dogs, but honestly, you could have you could slide Susan and Carol into either one of those yep. movies with mm-hmm. the look they just have going on there, and I would totally be here for it. Yep. Very Reservoir Dogs walk. Exactly. And with the sunglasses, and it's just... Uh, I love it. I love it. I mean, you see Susan's nipples too, like, <laughs> like yeah. there's some clearly some nip nip throughout through those shirts. Yeah, those shirts are real thin. Chilly yeah. in that ER. And yeah, there not- is no padding in those bras. Yeah, Carol, you don't really see anything, but you do. A li- much. I don't less, even. I don't even think she all. is. I don't even think it's a thin bra. I don't think she is wearing a bra. I think she got pulled out of yeah, bed. Yeah, that. And- yeah, I don't, Could think, also I don't be think there's a bra there, but. But yeah, some some Susan nip nips, and then we cut over. No, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just laughing because my family listens to this show, <laughs> and we're talking about nipples. Hi, mom. Hi, Lauren's mom. Hi, Lauren's sister. Nipples. <gasps> <laughs> so, do we want to play the clip? I think we should play the clip. Yeah. <laughs> Then we go over to uh, Caleb again. Uh, Caleb's dad has arrived, and Lauren, what uh, what's up with his look here? <laughs> Forgot I put this in the notes, and now you're making me answer for my crimes. Um, the dad has his suspenders down off the shoulders, hanging by his butt. It's a D-minus look on, on Lauren's fashion corner this week on suspenders watch. Not a fan. I didn't even get to the suspenders uh, I, I couldn't get past the mullet, like the balding mullet. Just the whole thing is just. This guy is a unicorn. I yeah. I, I want to study like, him. But he looks like he has a good heart. He does seem like a decent guy. With a mullet and poorly worn suspenders. <laughs> Doug notes that the uh, antibiotics that they're giving him, that they're giving Caleb for his fever, um, and for his general infection, seem to be working well. Um, you know. Tells the dad, you know, why don't you go get some food for him? Um, you know, burger and fries, am I right? <laughs> um, That's exactly how he does it, too, though. Yes. With the little with the little pat on the shoulder. and Exactly. So uh, the dad, the sister, and Doug all leave the room, leaving Carter, who asked uh, young Caleb if he's still bored, and then pulls out a copy of Mortal Kombat from the, on the Sega Game Gear. Oh boy. <laughs> I have fond memories of playing that, of playing Sonic the Hedgehog on that thing in the middle of a Perkins in Winona, Minnesota, visiting my brother in college. A lot. The The most unrealistic part of having him, having it in this episode is that they play it for longer than like six minutes before the batteries die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um I have never seen one of these in person. I had to ask Lizzie what console it was. They're one of those things that like is so nineties because it's like it's like the phone it's like the portable phones, quote unquote, that you had in the nineties. You could kill someone with it with how with how bulky it was. Yeah, it's very dense and like it it sound it like looks and sounds like such a cool idea in theory, especially for the time. 
but the reality of it was very like underwhelming because as i said the battery life on it was pretty pathetic and uh, unless you had a cable to plug it in yeah it was like you could get a lot of glare on it and the stuff would get washed out easily and it was just yeah it was better in theory than in practice which is fully which that whole that feature quote unquote is fully on display here um as we uh watch them throughout the episode play play the game which you get some shots of it on screen it's super washed out and super like if you're not looking at dead on it looks like when you try and film an old cr tv screen yes and it's just that wash out at the wrong angle i wonder how this jived with their uh, well-established nintendo sponsorship at this point like (laughs) they've had so much nintendo stuff all throughout this season and then right on the finale they whip a sega game gear on you All right, and speaking of characters who uh, we won't be seeing any more of, uh, <laughs> yes, Doug's small child friend Jake, he yes. comes in very morose to visit Doug, and like he is so very just sad looking here. Like he is just heartbroken that uh, his mom and Doug have broken up, and this is his attempt to try to like put the pieces back together. And so he's asking Doug if there's anything they could do to fix it. And Doug is having to, you know, do the thing that he's not very good at, which is, you know, be self-reflective and try to explain his inherent trashness to a small child. And <laughs> he's he's just like, you know, I did something bad. I hurt your mother, which makes it sound like he beat her. But um, he's like, I know you think I'm a good guy. I don't know why I hurt people sometimes. And I did something with another woman that I shouldn't have done. And your mother find out about it, and now she doesn't want me to come around anymore. What a roller coaster ride that sentence is! Like, just word salad yep. your way through explaining your breakup to this small child. <sighs> like Doug, dude, and you know, Jake pretty much knows right off the top. He knows he knows who who was the sort of linchpin in all this. You know, was uh, Linda, uh, who we saw coming out of Doug's apartment in the one of the last episodes i don't remember if it was the last episode or the one before but um so he's like is it the one with the nice clothes and all the hair yes the one with the all the hair um yeah this is awful and uh this is also the end of jake as i mentioned uh jake kind of just wanders off into the streets of chicago probably to be you know destitute and homeless forever now because doug broke his heart and he just you know he comes from a broken home now and everything's ruined so think of the little league team doug think of the little league team we'll always have that we'll always have the bikes the bike rides and the ill-advised overtures like come on doug and the cheating and the cheating Uh, and and the cheating both in baseball and on his mother it's a nice bookend to the um doug is trash narrative that has kind of pervaded season one like Season one has really just been a case study in how trash Doug is. Yeah, we hadn't had to shit on him for a while, but God, come on. So then we go to the reception tent and we check in with a band warming up. There is a table with Susan, Mark, Jen, Malik, Lydia, Halle, and Rachel. And nothing's really happening. They haven't really eaten yet. Um... We find out Carol is still in the church talking to her mother. Tag left. 
and they're like, you know, how's how's she doing? And somebody says, they took her shoelaces and belt. How do you think she's doing? Yikes. Like, um, that, that joke didn't need to happen. Yeah, no. that was a little... Um, little much. much. Um, Malik looks fly as hell. And he's wondering, like, what are they going to do with all this food? Like, this is lobster. We can't lobster, let this go to waste. Lobster Newberg, bitch. Yeah, he's like, we can't let this go to waste. I'm going to have some food. And... Susan looks horrified that they're going to go eat. But then Rachel is like, I'm hungry. <laughs> and Mark gets up to start fixing her a plate. And um, Jen and Susan both just look at him like, what the fuck? And he's like, she's hungry. There's food. <laughs> totally um, using his daughter Lydia, as an excuse to eat free lobster. Yeah. And then Lydia's like, I'm going to get a drink. What do you all want? So they're just starting the party. That is very much like the cool kid table and Jen. <laughs> 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 like <laughs> that is the coolest table and also Jen is there. And that's the end of season 1. We made it. We did it. Holy shit. And they stuck the landing. Yeah, they did. Definitely. And it like I said, they they did a good job bookending a lot of those character arcs, leaving things open for season 2 because they obviously knew they were doing a second season. Oh, of course. And just they gave us enough resolution to what had happened to our characters, but still left us wanting more. Like, what's going to happen with Susie and the baby? Is is Chloe going to come back? Um, does Mark take the the job? Yeah, there's, they leave enough breadcrumbs, like you said, to, to make you interested in a season two. But I, I feel like the hallmark of a really good season finale, particularly a season one finale, is whether it would work satisfactorily as a series finale. And I feel like if they had never gotten a season two, that this would have been a good way to end it. Like, it feels like, like, especially because we, we didn't really touch on at the end of like the wedding thing. Like, there's very much this like sort of almost collegiate look of things like they're graduating or something. Because like you have Carter, I mean, uh, not Carter, um, Green and Doug standing there in their like suit jackets and stuff. And they just kind of have their arms around each other drinking a beer and they're kind of like panning around and like it just has this like very much like we're graduating to something bigger and better look about everything and you you could see this being like a wrap-up for all these characters everybody's fine everybody's nobody's perfect you know things have changed they're different people now than they were in the pilot but they're all gonna be okay I mean I like I <laughs> Because I know that we get so much more, like, I almost got, like, a little emotional seeing, like, Green and Doug there at the end, you know, because we know what happens to Green down the road. Like, this is this is a really happy moment for them as friends. And, like, you know, we just don't get very many of those, you know. And so it's really nice to see this, um, this kind of, like, moment in time, this little snapshot in time. It's just really, really nice. It's a good way to end the first season. Hey, everybody. Daniel again. I sincerely hope you enjoyed this look back at all the best moments from season one. If you enjoyed listening to it even half as much as I enjoyed putting it together, then it was all worth it. Uh, one more time from myself, Lauren, Lizzie, and the rest of the extended STT family, we want to wish you and yours a safe, happy, and most importantly, healthy holiday season. And we will catch you all in 2021. Bye.